4: Sorry, Les. Sorry, Les. I'm here. I'm here. Don't worry. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. I didn't fall off a track or anything. (laughs) Good morning, 1850. 715-996 Seven one five nine nine six is the number at the text of the WhatsApp, 83 396 96, 96 The email, opinion at 96fm.ie. It's been a very, very, very interesting weekend since we left you on Friday. We left you in your fury and we left you in your anger and we left you stew for the weekend as we did too to see what would happen. With this crazy political situation uh, of the last few days. I was reminded only yesterday actually that this isn't Phil Hogan's first rodeo.
5: I have tendered my resignation from
4: government and it has been accepted. That goes back 25 years ago. So it's not the first time Phil has been in a political storm. Far from it. I'll get back to that though in a while. I want to know do you think he should resign or be fired? Bearing in mind that our crowd can't fire him. Can't, our our government cannot fire Phil Hogan We'll come back to it though But Fountainstown Beach One of my favourite places in Ireland Uh, To go down of an evening The sun is going down and the water is up high And have a nice little swim there It's just a lovely place And you see loads of people out on boats and yachts And kayaks and paddle boards and surfboards But every so often something goes terribly wrong uh, or could go terribly wrong, particularly between that curve of land there, between the main Fountain Town Beach and the back beach. It's very easy to get in trouble there. And that's what happened last night uh, to uh, a young lad on an inflatable. Uh, is Richie there? Richard McSweeney, good morning to you. Morning. Well done last evening. Well done to Thank you. you. Tell Tell me what happened, Richard. When did you know or when did you find out that something wasn't right?
6: Well, um, me and my friends were just kind of fishing and messing around at uh, White Bay, and we heard the VHF call go out. I'm not sure when, really, like at what time, but um, we went straight over to Fountain anyway, and just like to see if we can give a hand, and we happened to beat the lifeboat by five, ten minutes, and then um, yeah, um, we came in, and there was paramedics and guards on the beach, and they were pointing down to this man that was hanging off a boy. Yeah, and um, there was already a local down with a kayak helping out, but sure, it isn't a bad thing to have extra hands there.
4: Yeah, and what had happened? The, the dad was holding on to this marker boy. His his youngster had been uh, was it a lilo or a little blow up boat or what was it?
6: I am. Um, I think it was his son was on a lilo, and they just got caught in the, in, in the tidery, really and. They were getting pulled in, and he just grabbed onto the boy. And someone in was this was it on Falmouth Beach, I think, called it in. And yeah. Yeah.
4: So, so you 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 just dropped everything and went.
6: Yeah, we were. Well, we, we were we were waiting for our friend, and we just ended up going straight over to the beach instead of getting him.
7: Right. Jamie
6: right. Harry. Yeah, Don't, yeah, and I'm here with two others that were. Um, Oh, that there was a, there was a few
4: of you. I think Jamie is there, is he? Jamie Jamie is
7: there,
4: yeah. yeah. Put me on, Jamie. There. How are you, Jamie? Hi, how are you? Describe to me what happened.
8: Um, we were just out and about, and uh, we heard the the distress signal. So we just and we knew where it was. So we just literally went over to help out. Yeah. Yeah, you guys. Are all
4: involved in the your families? Are all involved in the lifeboats and and the rescue services down there? So and you'd all be you'd all be pretty strong swimmers and fairly handy on the water, wouldn't you?
8: Yeah, we would. Yeah,
4: yeah. Well, like the dad was clinging on to a marker boy. He as long as he clung on for dear life, someone would get to him. The the worry was the the young lad gone off out on the on, on the lilo, wasn't it?
8: Yeah, uh, yeah. But when we arrived, he was already uh, taken care of. We just had to look after the man.
4: Okay, so you took after you, you you took care
8: you guys when when did you first start
4: learning about water safety?
8: Um six or seven really, ever since we were on boats. Yeah, yeah. And,
4: and when we, you when you of, go on an ordinary fishing trip, like what kind of stuff would you bring with you?
8: Uh well we'd all have life jackets with us, um the we have the VHS, uh we'd all have our phones with us and just letting people know where we are and um yeah, that's it, really. Yeah, and the fish. When uh, I, when fishing I'd, rods, obviously. Yeah, of course. Uh, when I'd be down
4: there of an evening for, for, for a dip in the water, I, I see an awful lot of, like, kayaks and paddle boards and all this thing going on. But I don't never... I never like to see these little small little inflatables that really should be... They should be in a swimming pool in Spain, not not in the water in in, in Fountainstown, because there's currents down there, isn't there, lads? And they can, you, you can get pulled away in those currents very easily.
8: Yeah, yeah. Um, especially in Fendstone, where that happened yesterday, the tide's really strong there. Yeah, and you just get ripped either way. Yeah, between
4: the main beach there and the beach at the back, I just call
8: it the back beach. It has another
4: name, doesn't it?
8: Um, I know it as the back beach, but yeah. I'm yeah, sure. there it
4: has another name. I can never remember it. But just there and the kind of on that little headland and the turn, the, the currents can get very odd, getting very odd there, and you get pulled away out. Yeah, yeah, it's great. All right, and so. Uh, your dad is a member of the lifeboats in Crosshaven yeah and then your mate Killian is it's a brother two. of a a lifeboatman yeah Our, no it's Quiva Quiva is his. yeah and then Rich your dad Rich Richie's dad Kieran is another cuz you're all very connected to the lifeboats then
8: yeah all
4: right okay all right well and the the the, the lifeboatman on duty last evening was, was Rich was was Victor Shine uh, a good pile of ours here. Yeah. All back to school next week, Les, is
6: the Excitement dying down. Back to school. Um, we're just we're just enjoying the summer while it lasts, really. I guess
4: you call this a summer. <laughs>
5: <laughs> <laughs> Making all
8: It's
4: the worst. Yeah, you live in hope. It's it's, it's the worst weather I've ever known in, in, in August. But uh, are, you, are you
8: looking forward to going back to the school or what? Um, yeah, it should be interesting and uh, good to see everyone again. Yeah, 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 Where are you all going to school? Um, uh, Richard is in um, Christians, I'm in uh, Ashton and uh, Harry's in
4: uh, Rochester. Alright, so you you, you're well spread out. Alright, listen, well done on what you did last evening and I'm sure that the, the father and son involved are more than grateful to you for, for the part that you played and well, you're all over the newspapers this morning, you're celebrities now of course.
8: Yeah.
4: You know, they'll be stopping you for autographs now when you're walking down this evening. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's not that funny. <laughs> All right, listen, well done, you guys. Uh, that's Richard and, and Jamie, um, who just, and their mates, who just ran to the rescue of that um, of that father and son. Just raise the question, we were talking about this this morning, um, like, why is it that you can still get these little small inflatable yolks like lilo's and and little small half a boat, they're not really a boat. Like, why on earth are they still even on sale in this country? Like, our beaches are not suitable for those things. Even in Spain or where the water is much calmer or anywhere like that, they're not exactly suitable either. But it's considerably safer because the way the beaches are laid out and the way the currents work. But they're not safe. Like, why are they still on sale? Why can you still. Bring. And, and I know that the lifeguards between the yellow and, re- and red flags w- would ask parents to at least watch the children when they put them out on a, on a light. Why are they still able to buy inflatable life, life lilos and plunk them on the water and just, sure, when the water wants you, the water will take you? Kate Horgan was also involved in that in that, uh, she's, she's actually there's a, there's a picture of the lads and you can just about see, just about make out Kate so let's not forget Kate as well so well done to you guys and uh, can we please think about these inflatables uh, and parents please think before you buy one, yes they look lovely lovely pink and yellow and red lilos and they look great and they're great fun out on the bit of water or whatever. don't put your children on these lilos in the sea, please 1850
3: The Opinion Line on Corks 96FM With the
9: Indoor Self-Service Laundrette Now at the Junction Vickers Road Open every day to save you time and money
7: SelfServiceLaundry.ie 96FM. The annual Miz Looper Charity Cycle takes place on Saturday the 29th of August. The cycle spans the beautiful coast of West Cork, beginning and finishing in Collins' Centre Drima League. Featuring an 80 kilometer and 130 kilometer route, registration for both will be at 8am. All proceeds from the event will go to the West Cork Down Syndrome Support Group. If you have an event you would like mentioned, email Diary at 96fm.com.
3: This is Courts Gold Imro Award Winning Talk Show, The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan.
1: Text or WhatsApp now: 0 three three ninety six 96, 96 on
3: Courts ninety six FM.
4: Sheila says, it really warms my heart to hear those lads on the radio. I'd love if parents encouraged their children to learn to swim and learn to life save. My own daughter was taught swimming at six months. You'd see a lot less messing around with cans and bushing if the young lads were given an interest. You're not wrong, Sheila. You're not wrong. 1850 715 Now, senior news reporter Fiona Corcoran joins me in relation to a very serious car crash last evening, Fiona. Around quarter past nine, was it? Good morning to you.
0: That's right, Peter. It was Saturday evening, Peter. Saturday evening, um, your Saturday evening, yes. Gardaí issued an appeal for witnesses in relation to this crash. It happened at a place called Raffine, um, just outside Carrigaline on the R six ten, and it happened on Saturday night at around a quarter past nine. It was a head-on collision. Two cars involved, um, and the two drivers and one passenger were taken from the scene and brought to Cork University Hospital. Now, one of the drivers, he's a thirty-four year old. Man, and he is understood to be in a critical condition in hospital. Um, a male driver, 56 year old man, and a 17 year old man. Uh, who was a passenger in the second car uh, were also taken to hospital but their injuries are believed to be non-life threatening. Uh, the road is cur- or the road was closed for a time and a forensic collision investigation was carried out at the scene um, and Gardaí issued this appeal for witnesses. Now they're looking for anyone who may have travelled on that road again it's the R610 at Raffine outside Carrigaline between 9pm and 9.15pm um, or anyone who was in the area who may have witnessed the collision uh, to come forward and contact Gardaí and they're particularly interested in anyone who may have been on that road and who has dash cam footage, um, if they could bring that into their local Garda station. Um, It's Gardaí at Toker who are investigating this crash uh, so people can contact Toker Gardaí or the Garda Confidential Line.
4: Any word on the most seriously injured of the uh, motorists?
0: Um. Not this morning. Um, I'm just waiting to get some information there. Okay. Um, but if I get any more information, I will let you know.
4: Okay, much appreciated, Fiona. Thank you very much, Fiona Cochran, our senior news reporter. That crash, and again, anyone who was travelling between uh, Rafine, around Rafine, the R160 Saturday night between nine and quarter past. If you have dash cameras like that you can get on to the Garda confidential line. At 1-800-666-111, Toker Station is 214 one twenty uh, the guard confidential or any Garda station. Any Garda station if you have dash cam footage or if you were there and you saw anything or if you can give any bit of uh, support or any bit of information regarding that accident. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. I don't believe that's just come in. The lads were talking about this uh, this morning on the breakfast show they were talking about um masks and and all of that but there's a here's a message coming in it says I'm glad to see the anti lockdown march in Dublin. Let's hope there's one in Cork soon, says John. What I would like to know about that anti-lockdown march, and there were many more marches like it during the course of the summer. There was some Black Lives Matters march and and that kind of stuff came up. All of these marches um, are in breach of gathering regulations. So why are they allowed to go ahead in the first place? I looked at the pictures that were going up and down social media from that particular march giving out about lockdown and giving out about masks and Jim Carr spoofing out of him and Jedward why did Jedward suddenly become the voice of reason? Have we, have we completely sort of left the planet and, and gone into into outer space Um, when Jedward are the voice of reason? I don't did you bothered? Anyway, um... John is calling for one of these marches to take place in Cork. So we'll see. We'll see if it happens. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Let us look at Phil Hogan because he is the man in the news all weekend. Phil Hogan, the EU Commissioner for tra- for trade. He was one of the people who attended that Golfgate dinner on Wednesday, the the, um, the event that we spent most of Friday talking about. The event that had our listeners and myself boiling with fury on Friday as to the fact that they were allowed to go ahead with this, having just announced restrictions on the rest of us. They went ahead with a dinner for 80 odd of them, of the great and the good, in a hotel in County Galway. And we know that Derek Hillary, the Minister for Agriculture, was gone Friday morning early. Uh, Jerry Buttomer, uh, Cork Senator and the last coherent of the Shannon, he was gone uh, by 10 o'clock on Friday morning, resigned. The uh, Taoiseach and the leader of Fine Gael have both removed the whip from people who were at that particular gathering now removing the whip it eh, might mean nothing to, to, to you or me but it's it's a fairly stiff punishment when you work in Leinster house removing the whip removes a lot of your privileges and um, people are saying you should be sacked as a cheating or step down as a senator it doesn't really work that way but anyway the big name is Phil Hogan he issued an apology on Twitter uh, on Friday or Saturday losing track of time now this day he issued another apology yesterday which was more detailed, and he apologised to the health workers and to all those who would have been deeply offended and hurt by what happened in in Clifton. Uh, we also read in the papers this morning that Enda Kenny, uh, played, who would be a very old friend of Phil Hogan and an old compatriot of Phil Hogan. And when Enda Kenny was in power, Phil Hogan was his Rottweiler-in-chief who kept things in order for Enda Kenny. Enda Kenny played his golf. Enda Kenny's quite a handy golfer. Enda Kenny played his golf and went home and had no interest in going to the dinner and said, in fact, that it shouldn't have gone ahead. But he has made it clear, has Phil Hogan over the weekend, he's no intention of resigning. He has absolutely no intention of resigning. Uh, His spokesman said that yesterday afternoon and he's issued another apology yesterday. But there's no intention of resigning. He cannot be sacked by the Irish government. And this is something that we kind of thought on Friday. But now we know he can't actually be sacked by the Taoiseach or anybody else here. Because he works for the European Union. So anyone saying, oh, they should sack him, they can't sack him he doesn't work for the Irish government he works for the European Union he's answerable to the president of the commission, Ursula von der Leyen she can sack him or she can look for his removal or she can call on him to resign but at the moment she's only looking for a full account of his movements and a full account of what he's been up to but she's the only one who can basically tell him to uh, not let the door hit his arse on the way out Everyone else wants him to, as they say, consider his position, which is, that's a kind of a posh way of saying resign. Let's look at what Phil Hogan did. He attended an event which is now being investigated by the Gardaí, which he shouldn't have gone to. He appears now to have broken lockdown and quarantine rules in, in County Kildare because he called... To collect documents and personal equipment from an apartment that he has at the K Club, like okay he was collecting his golf clubs. Let's let's let's. That's obviously he was collecting a set of golf clubs from from there, Uh, and the and the documents were to do with important EU business, which you would wonder what they're doing there in the first place. He was caught then by a guard caught on his mobile phone, and that was passed up the line as has to happen. It's just a, it's just a, it's just a mess. It's just a mess. 1850
3: The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the junction Vickers Road,
1: Supermarket, Solid Fuel Depot, and a self-service laundrette. You're one stop for everything.
3: Cork's 96FM is now streaming even more music choice.
1: More music choice. choice. Check out the HitMix
3: online for fresh new music. And stream the all-new FitMix for your workout. Out,
9: out, out. Listen on your phone. and smart speaker. Turn up the volume.
3: Or go, go, go to 96FM. This is Cork's Gold, Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line, with PJ Coogan. Call
1: us now, 1850-715-996. On
3: Cork's 96 FM.
4: Now, Dara O'Brien, who is the Housing Minister, isn't it, Last yesterday. The Housing Minister has called this morning for Phil uh, to resign. John in Blackpool says Billy Kelleher should resign as well after what happened with the Convention Centre and Michal Martin and, and all of that. Shona on WhatsApp says, Morning PJ, he was always an arrogant individual, was Phil Hogan. And the apology he gave is futile. Uh, he just took a shower, slapped on some aftershave and off he went to Golfgate. All eyes now will be on Ursula van der Let's hope that she fires him. Frank reminds us that he was stopped while using a mobile phone, cautioned and left going his way, while mere mortals would get a fine and points. It's like being back in Hawi's time. Well, Frank, it's worth pointing out a guard does have discretion. I didn't know that, but apparently a guard that does have uh, some discretion if they catch you with your mobile phone. I didn't know that, but apparently it does exist. And Finn on WhatsApp says, did this sausage only apologise because he was caught out by fabulous journalism? I don't know, Finn. It was great journalism by Aoife, by Aoife Moore and her and her colleague Paul Hosford. Great journalism, and I think the fact that you know Aoife Moore and Paul Hosford, they wouldn't be two of the best known. With with due respect to them, they wouldn't be two of the best known household names type Paul cars in the country. And therefore, when they started making phone calls and asking questions, alarm bells didn't ring. And by the time they had all their questions asked and realised the size of the story, they had. In their laps, it was too late to stop it. Other better known journalists whose names might have been household names or names might have been known to the to the ministers involved or the individuals involved, they'd all have gone to ground much faster. But it was great journalism by, by the lads in the in, in the examiner. But it continues because over the weekend the name on everyone's lips has been Phil Hogan and what he should do and what can be done and it emerged, and we now know for sure, the Irish government cannot sack Phil Hogan. The Minister of Foreign Affairs and Defence, Simon Coveney, joins me. Simon, good morning to you.
10: Good morning, PJ. and uh, I can understand the uh, the anger that you have and that a lot of people who are listening to you uh, have as well. Uh, and had last week uh, on the back of uh, that story that was broken by, by really good journalists. Uh, and really uh, it, I think it's it's saying to people that there's one rule for some people uh, and uh, and another for everybody else and that is and has undermined the authority of politics and of government in, in the context of the challenge that we all face uh, in responding to COVID-19 and trying to keep people safe um, and it's really regrettable that it happened it shouldn't have happened uh, and for people like me and many others uh, we're really really annoyed about it um, and that's why uh, within the political parties involved, uh, the people uh, who were at that dinner uh, have been suspended, uh, and we've seen a, a series of resignations as well, uh, and obviously an awful lot of apologies. Yeah. Um, but I can totally guess why why people are furious uh, on the back of this. I mean, this was the day after the government made some very unpopular but necessary decisions yeah. uh, to to try to contain the spread of COVID, which, as we as we know. Uh, is seeing a a second wave, if you like, uh, in some parts of the country Um, and um, for the politicians involved not to know uh, that they shouldn't have been turning up at a dinner, which uh, seems to have been totally inconsistent with the guidelines, but also was, um, um, you know, gave um, uh, the impression of complete disregard for the uh, the, the frustrations and the suffering that so many people have had in recent months you, You're uh, long enough around you're politics um, Minister Coveney to know Phil
4: Hogan very well on, on both a personal and professional level and, and yeah. you don't need me to tell you, he's a tough nut with his skin like a crocodile's arse and he won't go unless he's pushed you, the, the, the cabinet of which you're a member has no power to dismiss him but do you believe he should stand down?
10: Yeah, I, I mean, just so, so people... Are, look, I know Phil Hogan very well for many years. Uh, he's been a very effective commissioner. Um, he's he's very well respected in Brussels. Um, but I think, you know, people's view is that the, um, that, uh, the same standards should apply to everybody. Uh, and that is why the Taoiseach and the Taunas over the weekend asked Phil Hogan to consider his position. Uh, they weren't happy that uh, it took him too long to fully apologize uh, for for being at the event Uh, and they weren't fully clear uh, in relation to um, uh, whether or not Phil Hogan complied with all of the uh, regulations um, not only in terms of the events that he went to uh, in Clifton, but but also coming in and out of the county of Kildare, which effectively has been in lockdown, uh, and of course coming in and out of the country. Now, they've asked him to clarify all those issues. Um, and mm-hmm. Ursula van der Leyen, the, um, the president of the European Commission, uh, also asked for a written report from Phil last night to explain um, all of those issues as well, uh, and I understand she got that report last night, and mm-hmm. she's the only one who can effectively ask uh, Phil Hogan but, to. Yeah, uh, kind of side. a
4: double-barrelled question, just to clarify for listeners. First of all, why he is our EU commissioner? Why can't the cabinet order him to resign? Point number one, and point number two. Do you think he should resign?
10: Yeah, I mean, just the answer to the first question is a is quite clear. And legal one so once uh, I mean it is true that Phil Hogan uh, initially was nominated by the Irish government uh, and by the then Taoiseach um, initially and uh, to Kenny and uh, a year ago when he was reappointed by, by Leo Varadkar but once you're appointed as a commissioner to the European Commission you effectively sign an oath to uh, to work for the EU as a collective so you're not there to represent Ireland you're there effectively it's like an EU cabinet if you like uh, and just like I have a, an obligation to represent the country as a whole, even though I'm from Cork, uh, and I represent Cork as well as the TD, but when, but when I'm in cabinet, I make decisions on behalf of the country. Uh, Phil Hogan has the legal obligation to make decisions on behalf of the EU, even though he was nominated by an Irish government. Uh, he's been through a ratification process in the European Parliament, uh, and he is essentially an EU spokesperson and representative, and therefore... His boss is, is Ursula van der Leyen, not the Taoiseach or the Saanishter. Um And and that is why the power lies with her and not with the Irish government in terms of Phil's future.
4: Do you, as Foreign Affairs um, Minister, think his position is tenable now?
10: Well, I mean, you know, my view on it is that, um, you know, I'd like to, to read his explanations for why he was in and out of Kildare. Um, um, and I'd like to uh, to be reassured by those statements that. Um, that he complied, uh, as best he could with, uh, with the rules and regulations linked to COVID, because it doesn't matter whether you're a commissioner, a president, a Taoiseach, a minister, or anybody else for that matter. Um, the same rules should apply to everybody in Ireland. Um, and, and if, if he didn't apply those rules to himself, then I think his position, uh, is, uh, is in difficulty. Um, but I think, you know, we also have to, give due process here, even though people are furious, I know that um, uh, he's been asked to account for himself, and I'd certainly like to see Mm. the detail of that before I cast any further judgement.
4: Do you think that President von der Leyen, if she's not happy with what's in the report, would ask him to leave?
10: Well, she's a tough uh, uh, politician I mean, she has a reputation for being fair, but tough Uh, She certainly doesn't shy away from difficult decisions. That's her her record previously as a minister in Germany um, and since she became uh, president of the commission. So, you know, I think she will uh, want to maintain high standards in the commission. Uh, The commission is very sensitive uh, to any impression that uh, its commissioners have a different set of rules applying to them than apply to, to anybody else across the EU, regardless of who you are or where you come from. Um, mm-hmm. and she's very sensitive to like, that. Who, who,
4: so, does she have the power, for example, to say to him, Commissioner Hogan, your
10: behaviour at home is unbecoming of a member of my commission, good luck? Yes, she does, but but the um, the bar to actually dismiss a commissioner or to, I think the technical term is to ask them to retire early um, is is very high um, uh, in terms of, I think it has to be a, a pretty significant breach of the law or, or rules or bringing the the commission to disrepute. So, you know, look, we'll have to wait and see later on today. Um, you know, as I said... So What's I your hunch?
4: You were a former MEP. You know how the commission works. As a foreign affairs minister, you're over and back
10: there possibly more than most. What's your hunch? Well, look, I mean, my, you know, I suspect that, um, that Phil has provided, I certainly hope, a very comprehensive and detailed explanation on, on all of these issues. Uh, he's certainly had time to do it over the last few days. Um, and r- despite the fact that people uh, are very annoyed, including people in government uh, with Phil um, uh, on this issue, um, you know, I think we just have to wait and see um, how uh, President van der Leyen actually responds to, to the information that she's been given. You but, wouldn't
4: go so far as your cabinet colleague, Dara
10: O'Brien, and, and call on him. Well, I mean, you know, I can understand the sentiments that, um, that we got from Dara this morning. You know, he's seen his own colleague, uh, Dara Leary uh, Stepped down uh, very, very quickly after this, you know, and I think Derek Cleary acted honourably. Uh, um, he saw that he'd made a really, really bad mistake. Uh, he's apologised profusely to people both in person, on you know, and and on the radio, and resigned. Um, and that can't kind have of been difficult for him because he's, you know, he's he's wanted to be a minister for many, many years, uh, and now he's gone. Um, so I, I can understand why um, uh, Dara O'Brien would want you know, consistency here uh, and people taking responsibility for their actions. Um, I think, to be fair to Phil Hogan, uh, he, he is now under the spotlight uh, and needs to provide detailed answers. If those answers aren't credible, then I think he's in difficulty. Uh, and we'll have to wait probably until later today to, um, uh, to find out what happens Would there. Would you but, be
4: interested you know, in replacing him if he
10: was to go... Uh, look, I mean, the two names even, in the frame are you and Leo. Yeah, you know, I, I get that, but really, that's not my focus. You know, my my focus is on getting my kids and getting every other child back to school this week. Uh, trying to work with my government colleagues yeah. to make sure that that happens as smoothly as possible. Can it be done? Um, yes, it can. Um, you know, I think it's really regrettable, and to be quite honest, I'm furious about it. That that we have to spend time trying to reassure the public. Uh, that, the, that the government is on their side uh, and that politicians well, are Clif- trying to work Clif- for didn't them. didn't help with that, um, you see. Well, 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 I mean, like, what happened last Wednesday was just um, so contrary to what we're trying to do with everybody. Uh, and, you know, as, as Ronan Glyn has said a number of times, you know, the best way to combat COVID-19 is solidarity. You know, and that means the government working with and for people Uh, And the idea that certain politicians see themselves as different uh, and, you know, that the rules don't apply to them Mm. or that they don't have to lead by example uh, at a time when we have a national, ongoing public health crisis where people have got to work together uh, in in terms... But it says, what it says is, Minister, that
4: rules only apply to the little people.
10: Yeah, well, I'm saying that's not the case. Uh, And that's why, you know, three Fine Gael senators have been suspended from the party. Uh, that's why uh, Jerry Bottomer, to be fair to him, uh, recognised the mistake that he's made. And we all know him. I mean, Jerry's a very good friend of mine, um, uh, and he's devastated by this. But but he recognised that this was a really really bad mistake, and he's he's um, stepped down from his position as as Lasko Härlik in the Senate. Um, you know, this is a serious mistake. Um, it's caused a huge amount of anger, and understandably so. Uh, and uh, my job, and the job of others in government now, is, in, is if you like, to try to reset the foundations of government. We've made too many mistakes uh, yeah. in the uh, in the See, first uh, couple of months uh, yeah. of this new government. A, a mistake
4: um, is putting the oven on too too high and and burning the chicken dinner. That's a mistake, you know. Turning up at something that you know, if you've got three functioning brain cells, shouldn't be happening. That's not a mistake.
10: Yeah, no, it, it, it is. Um, well, it is a mistake, but it's, but it's more than that, too. Uh, and that's why the consequences have been severe uh, for all of the people involved. You know, career changing um, yeah. for all of the people involved. Well, uh, you know, many of them are friends of mine. Those who um, get suspended,
4: but, they'll get back in eventually, they always think, do.
10: Well, look, you know, let's wait and see what happens in the okay. future, PJ. But, I mean, you know, all I can say to everybody who's listening uh, is that, you know, the government and the political system are furious about what happened last week. Um, and, you know, our job is to protect people, to try to protect businesses that are struggling because of COVID-19. Uh, and when people, you know, can't go to family funerals, uh, when people can't hold Holy communions, when people can't have, uh, can't open their businesses uh, because of restrictions, uh, and then they see what happened last Wednesday night, uh, that has led, I think, to a sort of a, a fury that I have. And, seen for and, and many they years see one of the politics.
4: key personnel... Effectively, thumbing their nose and saying, "I'm not going nowhere." That that makes them even more more annoyed. Just there was another name that came up on on Friday before you go. It was a name that I recognized, um, and I was saying, "God, okay." The name was John Flaherty. Now, the, the newspapers picked it up even more. Picked it up again in the Examiner over the weekend. I mentioned John Flaherty here on Friday morning, and again for the benefit of listeners who might know who he is, he's the captain of the guard. He is the COVID nineteen protocol officer for the Arachdis. And he was there talking
10: into his dinner. I mean,
4: daft minister.
10: Yeah, he shouldn't have been there. Um, you know, nobody should have been there. You know, uh, and, um, Surely his you know, position's I, untenable as well, like. Well, look, uh, I mean, you know, I suspect there, there may be a consequence to him being there for him. Um, you know, I don't know. I don't control that. Uh, yeah. Um, you know, all I can say is that, you know, the areas that I have some influence over, i.e. my own political party in Trinigale, you know, I think, and I spoke to, to Leo Varadkar about this at length over the weekend on a number of occasions. You know, I think that, that and to be fair, it's a fall. You know, I think the action was swift uh, in terms of our members mm. and suspensions and resignations.
4: If Phil um, could have been sacked by the government, would he have been?
10: Well, look, he was asked to consider his position on Saturday. Yeah. Um, That's uh, the euphemism the for a step down. But if he could have been sacked, would he have been? I don't know. It's a straight answer to that question, but I, but I think his um, his position certainly would have been difficult. Um, but I think um, what we will have later on today uh, is the the president of the commission making a decision on the back of the evidence as she sees it in writing from Phil Hogan, uh, and we're going to have to wait for that. But um, you know, I, again, you know, as a as someone who has a, a responsibility to to represent Cork and people listening to this radio station. Can I just appeal to people while I, I, I can understand uh, that people are livid over this issue? Uh, please don't let let that affect your judgment in terms of how we respond to COVID-19. The government uh, is not perfect. We make mistakes. Uh, the communication can be better at times. All of that is true. But we are trying to follow the advice of public health experts who are giving us a lot of advice and making decisions on the back of that to try to keep people safe. And whatever you're feeling about last week and I am as annoyed about it as many others are. Um, Let's not lose focus on the important things here in terms of trying to contain this disease. Uh, And this week, uh, trying to help parents and teachers and principals and young children uh, who also pick up messages when they listen to to radio shows like this one um, uh, to try to ensure that we create a safe environment to allow them to go back to school.
4: Okay, and do you hope? Do you do you think that that can be done? That we won't be sending them back this week, and in a month's time, yanking them all out again because it's gone mad. The COVID's well, gone I, mad I, in the schools. Uh, I mean, can I, that I, happen? We have the biggest classes. We have the most overcrowded classes in
11: Europe.
10: Well, look, you know, I mean, I have like I have three girls. that are all going back to school on Thursday to the uh, to the girls' school in Carrigaline. Um, How do they I feel know about it? Yeah. I mean, you know, I know that the school there has done a huge amount of work to prepare. Uh, The classrooms are going to be different. Um, uh, The congregation areas are going to be different. Um, uh, The way in which the teachers meet and act will also be different. Um, So there's been a lot of preparation and a lot of work, and it's ongoing uh, as we speak. Um, And uh, parents and teachers have got to work together here. Uh, along with the Department of Education in terms of the leadership and the funding that they've been giving uh, to try to get this right. But look, make no mistake, we are going to see uh, COVID-19 in a school somewhere uh, at some point over the next few weeks and months, because this is a disease that is highly contagious. Mm. Uh, as we've heard from public health experts, uh, Philip Nolan, this weekend, he said that a child is much more likely to pick up COVID-19 at home heard than they interview. are at school. I heard that interview. Uh, um, just like I think teachers probably are too. Um, so I think we need to uh, to remember the context of this challenge, you know, as we face it. But we shouldn't expect perfection ever. You know, we are going to get an outbreak in a school at some stage. The the challenge for the state and for the school what we do about it when that happens. will be how we manage it, how we contain it, how we is isolate that incident. Uh, yeah, there are uh, uh, sorry, there is, uh, and um, you, you know, there is a there is a roadmap now uh, for schools to get back up and running as safely as we can possibly make it um, and if there's an outbreak we will deal with that consistent with public health advice if and when it happens yeah.
4: Okay. One last question for you and it's, it's unrelated to what we've been talking about but the, the, the Debenhams workers have been on a protest now for 140 something days since, since Holy Thursday since they were so yeah. ha- badly treated by their... Do, you, do, do they have your support and, and will you do something for them?
10: Yeah, I mean they do have my support. Um, You know, I know that um, Leaveriker is the you know is the minister now for jobs in this area. He's met the Devlin's workers. Um, uh, I think they have been very badly treated, um, um, and uh, we do need to um, uh, to to work with them uh, Mm. to try to uh, to get the best deal possible. It's a terrible pity that
4: the suggestions made post vita Cortex weren't implemented. Would have protected them from this.
10: Well, PJ, I can't remember the the, the exact recommendations post Vita um, Cortex, but you know, all I can say is that you know I've spoken to the Taoiseach about this issue. Uh, he was anxious to meet uh, the Devlin's workers. He has done that, uh, and you know, he has he said that he'll do everything he can. Uh, to try and support those workers. All right,
4: we'll leave it there for today. Thank you very much. Minister for Foreign Affairs and Defence, uh, Simon Coveney. Thank you very much. 185715996. Hi, PJ. Simon Coveney is very fast in selecting one convenient statement from a chief medical officer that's paid by government. The experts are saying keep the school closed. Well, some of them are, Jerry. Some of them are. Not all. Carlos says fair play to PJ. He's asking every question that should be asked, but all we're getting is typical spin, ending up with a big lecture on what we should be doing about COVID. re Hogan. We're saying he should do this and that. They're saying he's so important in Europe. We can't do anything without him. What would happen if he died in the morning? Have we nobody else here who could do the same thing? I don't think no matter what decisions made in Europe... McWallace, Wallace, Claire Daly or Ming Flanagan will let him get away with it. Well, the decision is under law, and I did ask Simon Coveney to explain it. Under law, he's not employed by us, he's employed by Europe. And they have the say of the yay or nay. Uh, they have shifted uh, dodgy commissioners or questionable commissioners or commissioners who, whose behaviour um, put the thing into disrepute. They have done it in the past. They have done it in the past. Whether they'll do it this time, one can only wait and see. Ursula van der Leyen won't waste any time in making her decision, is for sure. Uh, The return to school plan is a joke. Coveney and his government are doing diddly-eye-all to make it happen safely, says Graham. Uh, I've been listening to the interview. It strikes me that it's all deflection. PJ is repeatedly asking the right questions, but he just deflects away from giving any Definitive answers. Pat from Cork says, Phil is a government appointment. The Irish government can inform Brussels that the government no longer has confidence in Phil Hogan as a government appointee. Yes, that's one way of looking at it, Pat. The law is slightly different. Uh, Caller says, Surely be to God, whoever received the invitation on behalf of the Taoiseach and should have been tasked with snagging an event like this, and if not, draw their attention to it. Right back saying, Here, this looks in breach of guidelines. Are you sure about this? In a crisis, like yeah, you see, well, that's why I'm mentioning the name of of John Flaherty so often. Uh, John Flaherty is the cover; he's the head of protocol and security, and all of the things in Leinster House. John Flaherty is the kind of guy who'll walk up to a journalist in in the press gallery and and tell them to go away and put on a tie uh, before they come back. I'm telling you now, this is the, this is the kind of. Power the man has. He can refuse you access to the to the press gallery in the, in the doll if you're not wearing a tie. This trust me. He's the COVID nineteen officer for the Arachtos, and there he was, talking into the chicken and baby spuds with the, with the rest of them. Uh, Phil, Phil or Finn says, "No, Simon, you don't understand the anger or the upset this has caused. You guys in your ivory tower don't grasp." Or don't want to grasp what's going on at grassroots level. All of you should hang your heads and hand over running the country to people who are about the people. PJ asked you a straight question. You put an ivory tower's spin on it. Is he still a Fine Gael member? Can that be stripped from him? It's a good question, Frank. I didn't, I didn't uh, think of asking Simon Coveney that. Uh, WhatsApp just shows again the government are a bunch of lying snakes. None of them have a backbone. Paddy, it's not the politicians I'm infuriated with, it's the Irish media. Oh, really? Without the Irish media, Paddy, we wouldn't know about this. But anyway, if this was the UK, journalists would be camped outside the houses of these people until they resign their jobs, but not in Ireland. Then again, there was a national broadcaster with them, which speaks volumes. Whatever about separation of church and state, we need a separation of state and media. Well, Paddy, as a member of the media and an actively working member of the media for the bones of... God, over 35 years now. I strongly have always disapproved of anything outside a person's house. I've always disapproved of it. A person's house is their castle. They're entitled to go in there and close the door and not be bothered. I've seen this happen. I know it can be effective at times. I just don't like it. I I don't think it's... I think it's a line you shouldn't cross. But anyway, caller says, I'm sick of politicians resigning... Uh, what's that one, I'm sick of politicians they should lose some or all of their gratuities and pensions for incidents like this why do they need stay at home on a loop, we all know we were told to restrict our movement Yeah, bearing in mind Derek Kileary the Minister for Agriculture the former Minister for Agriculture will still be trousering a salary of 90 something thousand as a TD and Jerry Butimer, the former Lasker Heerlich of the Shannon will still be pocketing 63 thousand is it of a salary and of course all the expenses that go along with it. So they're not going to be destitute by their resignations by any manner of means and put it this way, Phil Hogan probably has more dosh than the rest of them put together. So losing his gig wouldn't exactly be bothersome to him either. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six Declan says I'm half expecting to hear that Ursa, Ursula von der Leyen has asked Phil Hogan to write an essay entitled, "Molehan the
3: The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on courts 96FM.
4: Hi, hey, Paddy wants to take me up on something I said before the news. He said, I'm sorry, your attitude of not liking being outside someone's house is part of the problem. The reason why Irish politicians get away with so much crap, if they feared being confronted like UK politicians do, then maybe they'd think more about their actions. You might call it gutter press. I don't. I haven't. Uh, but I call it an effective press, and we need it, says Paddy. Paddy, I will terrify my, my, my... I've done that. I have done it. I have done it. I don't like doing it, but I have done it particularly i did it during vita cortex um and the one thing that happens is and you've seen this in the uk if you watch it i have no problem with confronting a politician who's being obstreperous and running from the media i have no difficulty with that when you're a politician in the front line then you can expect to be chased but the problem is you end up with wives and children being chased and that is where i draw the line i don't like that never have liked that but, Paddy, I take your point. I take your point. We, we, we probably do need to confront them a little bit more. 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 83 396 The email is opinion at 96fm.ie. We're on Twitter at opinionline96. Uh, the hashtag is OL96. And the... Um Facebook page, course, ninety six FM Facebook page, and you can send us a message. Address it, please, for the attention of the opinion line. Staying with this story for as long as you wish to do so. It dominated the whole show on Friday with the anger and the fury and the sadness, and and I think I don't think I've ever heard so many listeners close to tears, tears of anger, tears of frustration tears of loss as they spoke on Friday about not being able to go to the funerals of loved ones and and not being able to attend family events. I think it was particularly the funerals one that that struck me. Um, There have been funerals of people that I knew that that I didn't go to and wouldn't have been able to go to during the course of this. You you just have to move up and get along. But I can't imagine the idea of of having someone close to you pass away and not being able to properly mark their passing because of restrictions. And, And then to see that carry on up in Clifton, it really, really would stick in the craw. Solidarity TD, Mick Barry. Good morning, Mick. Good morning to you, PJ. While we must accept that the government cannot sack Phil Hogan, can they force Europe's hand?
12: I think so. And I think it's one of the reasons uh, why the doll is not being recalled this week. Uh, If the doll were to sit tomorrow, um, you'd have Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I think in the course of those days, you would have a a motion forced onto the agenda of the doll calling for the resignation of Phil Hogan. And I think if that motion were to be passed, sure, Ursula von der Leyen and the top brass in Europe um, wouldn't be legally compelled to listen to it. But look, at if the Parliament in the country, which sent Phil Hogan to Europe in the first place, expressed no confidence in them, I think Europe would have little choice in reality.
4: Uh, But to the cabinet can do that Without ever recalling the doll If they want to
12: Yes the cabinet can do that Um, But the cabinet are not doing that uh, And they need to be put under pressure Uh, They would be put under increased pressure If the doll was to uh, Reassemble tomorrow And I think it's one of the reasons I don't think it's the only reason I think it's one of the reasons Why they are not recalling the doll I mean Phil Hogan uh, I've crossed swords with Phil Hogan before Um, You said that he's a skin like a crocodile. Um, I think I would say uh, very arrogant. I mean, I always remember that phrase, looking into the TV cameras, is we will reduce water to a trickle for those who who do not pay.
4: I remember that very well.
12: The fear that that put into elderly people, sick people, poor people, uh, etc one law for the political establishment and one law for the little people and by the way if we're making a point about the political establishment something that hasn't been much commented on right mm. is what is the nature of that event that was taking place uh, in uh, Clifton right we know all about the the arrogant breaches of the uh, covid guidelines but you had a gathering here of td senators RTE presenters, Supreme Court judges, an EU commissioner, and an ambassador from a dictatorship, by the way. Right? Right. Um, This isn't about golf, these gatherings. This is about networking for the ruling class, for the political establishment, um, and plenty of conversations there about how to, um, you know, uh, keep the powerful in power, keep the wealthy in wealth, Mm. and keep the ordinary people down.
4: What was... interesting to me to read this morning um, and I know that A he is an avid golfer and quite a decent one by all accounts and B he would be a long time close friend of Phil Hogan Enda Kenny uh, played his golf and went home and, and wanted nothing to do with the dinner which is a feather in his cap
12: Yeah but he kept dumb about it didn't he? Well
4: he told the Irish Independent I think he told the Irish Independent after yeah. the scandal blew. Yeah, yeah, I, I get I get your point. And in fact, on Friday I had a conversation with Michael McGrath, the Minister for Public Expenditure, when he brought up the thing about this email that they all got. Now, Michael McGrath doesn't play golf, but he still got the email. He just, like, people knew, I, I get the exact point you're making, people knew this was coming up. They knew it was happening and nobody said, uh, lads, is this wise here? Did you get the email, by the way?
12: Yeah, I checked with my office. I've asked them to check it as to whether we might have gotten an email.
4: It goes uh, to everyone uh, in the Oroctus I'm told. That.
12: Yeah. yeah. Uh, what they've said is they'll come back and they'll they'll uh, confirm this afternoon. But the first check they've done has shown that we received
4: no email. I'm
12: not a member of the Oroctus Golf Society.
4: Yeah. Do you uh, not so read your own be... emails? You, you check your own emails. They go to no, person. It... You, you have a personal inbox, don't you, Mick? Uh,
12: I would receive a, a, on some days uh, up to 500 emails in a day. Right. Uh, I have a staff that go through it. Uh, if we got an email from the Oroctus Golf Society, I think probably you would have hit the, the the delete button before you would have read it because we 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 know what's involved there. Yeah,
4: you know. Yeah. Would you would you accept that if someone in government said, "I don't read my own emails"?
12: Uh, I, I doubt if anyone in government reads their own emails. They would they would they would, they
4: would do no. Uh, yeah, I, I find it strange. I mean, like, yeah, I probably get a few dozen, probably a hundred or more emails a day too. But I still read my own flippin' emails. You know what I mean? Mm. Mm. Uh, no, I
12: I I, 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 have a staff member who does. Uh, who told me this morning that that we received uh, no such email. Um, I it's, to easy that, it. it's, it's easy search.
4: It's easy search. It's <laughs> going to go into and just search Aractus Golf Society. Yeah, they've done that, and
12: and, and, and and nothing has nothing has shown up in relation. So to they that, have
4: checked,
12: right? it, yeah. I asked them to check before I did this interview. Yeah,
4: right. Okay. Yeah. And they said they didn't get any. Okay, okay, and they said they
12: didn't. And I'm asking them to double check. But look, at the, the the thing is, right? T- to be honest, if if we get an email from Aractus Golf Society, it, it, it goes in the bin straight away. We're not members of the Eroctus Golf Society. We aren't, and we never would be, mm-hmm. because it, it's a club
4: for um, uh, the establishment politicians. Yeah. So, yes, no, no, I'm actually interested in finding out who blew, the, who blew the whistle here, because mm-hmm. somebody obviously, and I, I think you can probably trace it back, and whatever happens with your own emails is your own business I guess, but someone blew the whistle, somebody raised the alarm, somebody contacted uh, the, 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 the journalist and the examiner to say you should check this out. That email went out to a lot more people than actually turned up at the Golf Society. Wouldn't it be interesting to know who raised the alarm?
12: It would be interesting to know uh, who raised the alarm. Um, but I think what is a more important point, if you don't mind me saying, mm. is that uh, the doll should be reconvened, right? Not next week, but this week, yeah, uh, to discuss this issue and to increase the pressure on the government, to increase the pressure on Phil Hogan here, and other key issues such as, very briefly, uh, a million students going back to school uh, this week, Uh, And the question of workers' rights, including the issue of the Debenhams workers there. And by the way, I just have to say, I thought it was incredible to listen to Simon Coveney on the radio before the 10 o'clock news. And you were asking him about legislation that was meant to be implemented to protect workers' rights in a redundancy situation or a liquidation situation. And what did he say? He said he couldn't remember
4: I asked, him, I asked him the post, post-Vita Cortex, there were recommendations made and they were never implemented. He said he couldn't remember them.
12: Yeah, and I, I mean, if, if that's going back too far for Simon, there was another bunch of recommendations came Cleary's. in after what happened in Cleary's. Yeah. The Duffy Cattle Report, right? Um, um, you know, that was four years ago. So the, the, the certain things that Simon and the Finnedale politicians remember very well. And there's certain other things, including things relating to workers' rights, um, that they can't remember why, because it's not on their agenda. Mm -hmm. And the government can't skip out the gate in relation to the Debenham situation now. You know, in July, they had the excuse that we're only just in, and it's only just arrived in our inbox. They've been in there, and Michal Martin, a Cork Taoiseach, uh, has been in there in power for nearly two full months now. The liquidator has made it very clear that his hands are tied unless, he says, he gets an instruction from the state, an instruction from the government, to set money aside from the stock for those workers. They don't want to do it because they know that with COVID, there's a lot of redundancies, a huge number of redundancies potentially, coming down the line. And they don't want to set the uh, the precedent of uh, an increased payment for a group of workers. And the pressure there needs to be stepped up And everyone needs to get behind those Debenamist workers because, in reality, if they win, it's a plus for them, but it's a plus for every worker in this country, including people who face the possibility Mm -hmm. of losing their jobs. They're fighting for everyone.
4: Now, what does your sense tell you, McBarry? Will Phil Hogan go?
12: Uh, My sense is that it's uh, in play and it still could go either way. I think an interesting point now is... The statement that was put out by Leo Varadkar and Michal Martin the other evening, um, calling upon him to uh, consider his position. Right now, we all know what consider your position means uh, in politics. Uh, it's like in football, is when the, uh, the 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 owners of the football club ask the manager to consider his position. <laughs> in reality, it's an instruction uh, uh, or a clear message that you should step aside. Uh, And and what is a factor now is that having made that call, that it's actually egg on the face of Leo Varadkar and Michal Martin and another cock-up for the government if he doesn't
4: go. Okay. All right, leave it there for today. Mick Barry, Solidarity TD for Cork North Central. Uh, Barry says, "If there was any doubt that there was major political scoring to be got out of this, Mick Barry has just proved it." Okay, Phil Hogan has a skin like a crocodile's arse, and everything connected with the golf society dinner was wrong on all fronts. But Mick has a neck like a jockey's. You know what? I've never seen him in our area since he first got elected. Come on, Mick, look after the north side. Catherine says, "Read the hotel. Where do they come into it? They're at fault as well." Yeah, that's all part of a Garda investigation Dennis Thompson uh, is the manager of the hotel in Clifton under investigation is the hotel now closed for a deep clean and quarantined for two weeks caller says the Hotel Federation said no one contacted them didn't Phil Hogan say he checked with the Irish Hotel Federation yeah. 1850 eighteen fifty-seven one five nine nine six. lots of people saying Phil Hogan should go uh, the system is as we've had it explained to us the system is that he can't actually be sacked by the Irish government he can only be sacked by Urs- Ursula von der Leyen Phil Hogan is an interesting entity I'll, I'll, I'll tell you that now for nothing um, I've known Phil Hogan a, a long time not well now, not, not personally but I, we did have a mutual friend back in the day but... <laughs> Phil Hogan is one of these people, and how do I put this now? Phil Hogan, there are people in politics, there are people in all walks of life who say that, you know, they know where the bodies are buried. Phil Hogan would be one of those people. But also Phil Hogan knows who buried them. Uh, So he's dangerous to a lot of people. So if Phil Hogan comes crashing down, he has the power to bring a lot of people with him. if If he wanted to do that. But still, if he needs to go, he needs to go. Of course he should go. Of course he should go. But will he? Is the next question.
1: 1857-15996.
3: The Opinion Line on courts 96FM. With the
1: Indoor Self-Service Laundrette. Now at the Junction Vickers Road. Open every day to save you time and money. Self-Service <laughs>
3: 6 to 9 a.m. On
1: Cork's 96
3: FM. Top 10 things that staff want their boss to do, okay? Doing something as simple as bringing a coffee to your staff. Yeah. Your boss saying thank you in a public email. Uh, When a boss asks for your opinion before making a decision, what do you think we should do? Uh, When you get taken out for lunch, it's fantastic and everything's paid for it. Unless your boss is an assassin. Casey and Ross in the morning.
9: Cork's 96 FM.
3: This is Quartz Gold, Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line, with PJ Coogan. Call
1: us now, 1850-715-996. On
3: Quartz, 96 FM.
4: And one man who crossed swords with uh, Phil Hogan over the years. Brian Gould, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How are we? Good. We all, I think, probably think at this stage that he should go. His position is untenable in, in, the, in the minds of most people. Will he, do you think?
5: Uh, I think he's an arrogant person, and he'll try and ride the road as much as he can. But if Phil Hogan resigns, why shouldn't the other TDs and senators who attended this resign as well? Not just our positions as ministers, or uh, Lasky, i have to say that. But as TDs and senators, they should also resign their
4: seats and cause a half a dozen by-elections.
5: Yes, yeah, what's wrong with that? We might get some decent people in then instead of them. I mean, it's an absolute disgrace that these, I mean, Michael Martin said last week that the COVID regulations were crystal clear. Yes, all these people are in the door, the lawmakers, and they disobeyed them. Why shouldn't they resign their seats? I didn't hear Simon Coveney asking for any of these people to resign. He said the, the whip was taken away from him. The mm. whip means absolutely nothing. When it comes to a vote of the door these people will go into the lobby where everybody is. So it means nothing. These people should lose their seats. I mean that
4: See the thing and, is that the only the only people with the power to remove a seat from a TD or a Senator, well, particularly a TD, Senators are elected in a different way, but that's whatever. The only people with the power to remove a seat from under the backside of a TD are you and me and Deirdre and Fergal and all of those who vote. So, really, the government no, no, can't
5: TDs. expel TDs. a TD. TDs, I
9: mean,
5: if, if the t shocked and the tarnished put enough pressure on these people to resign their seats. They'd be, they could be resigned. They could also be charged with um, bringing the country into disrepute, and, and and ask them to leave their seats then. I sure there's some mechanism in the dial where you can ask the TD to uh, have some kind of a tribunal or, well, not a tribunal oh, geez, or another tribunal. Don't draw another one then <laughs> on us, Brian. <laughs> <laughs> don't do that to, yeah. do that to me. <laughs>
4: I've blood pressure enough now without tribunals, fella.
5: Come on. But, but some kind of a quick inquiry into, into what they did and what they didn't do and then ask them to resign. And if they didn't resign, the die the, the could ask them um, to force them to resign. I mean, Phil Hogan is a man who has no regard for the law. I mean, Barry was on there a while ago. I remember quite well looking at the television and Hogan saying that we'll cut your water down to a trickle, even though it was against the law to do it. You can't cut people's water down to a trickle. But he didn't care about the law. He just wanted to bring in uh, water charges, and he would do anything to bring in water charges. I mean, Irish Water Limited was set up to mm. to bring in charges. Well, he, for water. he was set
4: out. He was sent out as and and uh, people knew him widely as Enda Kenny's Rottweiler. He he was sent out as the Rottweiler to to yeah. to, to drive the water charges message home.
5: Yeah, and he was a bully boy in doing it. I mean, this is one of the things that he did. I mean, he put metres, or he wanted to put metres outside everybody's door. Yet there's 63,000 kilometres of water metre pipes, and he didn't fix any of them. Yet there was something like 700 or 800 million euros going to put meters outside everybody's door. I know. They're re- refund- redundant now. I, su- I suppose. I mean he, 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 I mean, he was sent out to Europe to get rid of him, because he made the hands of it now, and so they said, look. Well, you... and... <laughs> hang on a
4: second now. I'm not too sure about that. People said that at the time, Brian. But to give someone one of the biggest gigs in, in European politics, that's not a punishment.
5: It, it,
4: it was it's a €277,000 gig with a colossal expenses budget on top of it. So it's yeah, hardly a was, punishment was, for anything, you
5: know? No, it wasn't a punishment, but he was doing so much damage that Endic Kennedy said, look, would you ever get out of my sight and go over to Europe? We'll send you out there, out of the way, and there's a nice big salary for you. And Hogan accepted it because he was making a hands of what he was doing in Ireland. I, 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 mm. I mean... He was bringing the government into disrepute. There was people out in the streets stopping water meters, And here was Hogan over this thing. And he making a complete hames of it. Mm. I mean, Sightsell. How did Sightsell get the contract
4: for the water well, let, Let's not go down any particular roads that could yeah, get us I in mean, trouble he, here now. Be but, careful. Be careful, but, Brian. Yeah,
5: but he was involved in all this kind of stuff. He's yeah, setting I up know. Irish water. Yeah, I mean he was a thundering th- th- thundering disgrace that's not a nice word that uh, people you say about Hawley but he was a, he was a thundering disgrace and uh, what's the other one Goob was it yeah um, uh, he was that as I mean Hogan
4: grotesque unbelievable bizarre and unprecedented was what that used to mean back in the day Brian I'm going to leave think, <laughs> leave it there you, 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 that's you, that's there's no that's love lost between you and Phil anyway and you reckon he should be gone
5: Oh, I think he should go. And the rest of the TDs the senators as well should resign their seat as well. All right. I mean, the likes of Jerry Buttermore and Callaghy and all the rest of them, they should resign if they have any uh, sense of responsibility to the country. That they don't like. All right. There's an
4: incident, Brian. Thanks very much. So we've got that. And that's, look, a lot of people were saying that at the weekend. Do you know, they still have their their salaries, like Dara Kileary. And by the way, Dara Kileary has also been, I think Michal has uh, stripped him of the vice presidency of uh, Fianna Fáil over the weekend as well not I don't know if there was a salary for that but it was certainly a bit of a profile position for him and um, and but he still re- he still remains a td and he's still be copping a salary of 90 something thousand De- uh, jerry bottomer still a senator 60 something thousand the only they, they don't have the power you don't have the power to tell a td to resign his or her seat they 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 only um there are only a number of different circumstances, which off the top of my head I can't remember. Forgive me. But a lot of people think that the people who like like the likes of Derek Leary, the likes of Jerry Baltimore should actually lose their seats as well. It doesn't happen. 1850 715996. Tom, if you were one of those TDs with the mortgage and the car they have, would you resign? I wouldn't, says Tom. On Mick Barry. So Mick doesn't turn up in the doll, nor does he read his emails. Hashtag.
1: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch.
5: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
12: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing.
3: Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight-loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. plushcare.com slash weightloss.
4: Chocolate teacup, teapot. <laughs> thank God for local independent radio, because if we only had RTE, we'd still have Dara Khalil, as Agriculture Minister, and Jerry Buthimer still as last career Look, thank God for you. Well thank you for that. eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Now a note from one Corconian to a good Samaritan written in the last couple of days the note has gone viral we shall be talking to the person who wrote it. 1850
3: The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With the junction,
1: Vickers Road, supermarket, solid fuel depot, and a self-service laundrette. You're one stop for everything. Access
3: all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on side. Hi, it's Michael here with an update on Cork's entertainment. Live music will finally make a welcome return to West Cork this month when Masters of Tradition takes place in Bantry from the 19th to 23rd of August. The 2020 Masters include Donovan, Christy Moore, Steve Cooney, Cormac Begley, Ye Vagabonds and lots more. Access All Areas. Andy Irvine and Paul Brady have announced an upcoming show to take place at the Opera House on the 26th of March next. The show features songs and tunes from their brilliant careers and as on previous tours, they'll be accompanied by Donal Lunny and Kevin Burke. Access All Areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing AAA at 96fm.ie Access All Areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. Corks 96 FM This is Corks Gold Imro award winning talk show The Opinion Line With PJ Coogan
1: Text or WhatsApp now 0833
3: On 96, 96 96 On Corks
4: 96 FM I, st- <laughs> I saw this On my Twitter over the weekend And I just thought That's a brilliant note I'd love to talk to who wrote that note on Monday. And I, I, I put it into, in case the lads hadn't seen it, I, I put it into our group WhatsApp and we just also would get after it and try to find out who had written this note. To the person who stopped my Mazda from rolling down the hill, thank you so much for stopping my car from rolling down and for putting a rock under the wheel to keep it in place. You truly are a very good person. I hope the car didn't roll into anybody else's. I bought the car on Monday of this week. I wasn't aware there was a fault with the handbrake. I came back to the car an hour after parking it, and was surprised to see it down at the end of the hill. Needless to say, that guy from Dundeal would be getting an absolute bollocking when I call him. Cowboys, Ted. They're all a bunch of cowboys. You didn't leave your name or any contact details, so I couldn't thank you for helping me out. I figured that putting this note up nearby would be the best way to do it. So thank you once again for coming to my rescue. I hope the universe, God, karma, or whatever you believe in, rewards you for your good deed. People like you are why I love this city. Selfless people... Helping out others. You are a cork. You are pure sound. You're legend. Thank you. Now, that, since it went up, has been retweeted nearly 400 times, has had two and a half, nearly 3,000 likes, and has been seen by tens of thousands of people. Half the media are losing their you-know-what trying to get a halt Of the person who wrote the note because they just signed it, thank you they didn't leave any name, they didn't leave any number, nothing just put it up on a prominent position for it to be seen of all people Darren Johnson our very own
1: you couldn't make it up no, you couldn't. He absolutely couldn't. There's um, more
4: people after you than are after Phil Hogan.
1: <laughs> I don't know, is that a good thing to be saying, PJ? Don't be putting me and him in the same sentence <laughs> now at the moment. <laughs> what tell tell me about the car? Yeah, so I bought I bought my banger, my new banger on Monday. Um, from a guy down in Middleton. He's not answering the phone now at the moment. I'm assuming he's seen that flying around online. Um So, yeah, I mean, look, it it seemed mechanically sound. The price was good. I was happy enough with it. Um, And, yeah, I bought it on Monday. And, uh, yeah, I I parked it up on Sydney Hill on Saturday night when I was doing my show and uh, came down uh, about an hour later down to the front door. And I looked to my right and I said, God, that car looks an awful lot like mine. And I walked up towards it and I went, that car has the same sticker on the back window as mine. That's my car. What's my car doing at the end of the hill? So I got an awful shot, PJ um it must have been you know it must have been rolling quite slowly because there there were a few cars parked in front of me um so you know it must have taken the hour to come down the hill but whoever whoever stopped it I, I just wanted to thank them um and like as you well know i'm very proud to say i'm no longer on social media so i didn't know how to put it out there except to put a note up on an electrical box nearby um so that's what i did and uh, you know i was my my, my fiancé turned around to me yesterday and showed me her phone and she said, you went viral. And I kind of went, what? She said, yeah, you're you're going viral. You're not even on social media anymore. You're going viral. <laughs> um, so, yeah, you know, um like the annoying thing, PJ, is uh, the passed the NCT on the 12th. Um, so I'm going to be having a very stern conversation with the Little Island NCT Centre about this um, because it shouldn't have passed the NCT with the handbrake in such a state. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's
4: a miracle that it stopped. It
1: is. It's, it's and they didn't hit a,
4: anybody or hit another car.
1: Absolutely. I mean, uh, PJ. The, the the thing about this is, if that person hadn't come along at the time they came along, that car would have rolled down into the middle of the road, and it would have caused an accident, and I would have been responsible. You know. Um, so uh, again, if that person is listening this morning, I just really want to say thank you very much for taking the action that you did when you did, um, because you really saved me ass.
13: <laughs>
4: Fair play, and put the stone on, under the thing. So are you going? I mean, you, okay, you're going to keep the car, but you're ho- obviously going to get the handbrake sorted.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, look, that's going to the mechanic you now first thing this morning, um, and just to see if there's anything else wrong with it. Honestly, Peter, I'm getting him to do an NCT um, once over, and if there's anything wrong with it that wouldn't pass the NCT, I'm going to be going back to the NCT with a very, very uh, stern letter. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, look, honestly, Peter, if that handbrake didn't hold on a hill, that shouldn't have passed the NTT on the 12th of August. Simple as. Yeah. I bought that car on the 16th of August. So, you know, I mean, like, it's now the 24th. I've done eight days of staying at home with that car parked in the front drive, you know? And one day of driving into town, the one day I drove it out, uh, it, it rolled down a hill, you know? So, I mean, there's something wrong there. Someone has to be accountable. Um, and I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go ahead. I'm going to go looking for heads to roll PC if
4: i I know yeah and the thing is and like and it's, it's course, pi- no yeah. man
1: from Dundee isn't answering the phone no so,
4: no you know. no and, and it's picked up it's picked up a couple of thousand likes on other radio stations Facebook pages and Twitter <coughs> for, I was thinking like who the hell is it who the hell is it and, and in the chase to find out who it was we only had to ring you
1: yeah, there you go now, PJ. It's always <laughs> be your first port
4: of call, it by <laughs> Darren, listen, good man. Thanks a lot. That's Darren Johnson from the Course 96 of In Production Department. And of course, the presenter of Club 96 of a Saturday. 1850, 715 996. That's who owned the note. So for all the rest of you who were looking for him, you were never going to get him. 1850, 715 996. On Phil Hogan. Kevin says, the gig Hogan has now has got the eyes of the world on it. By the way, Fine Gael got re-elected after Irish water. As much as I can't stand him, dot, dot, dot. Caller says he was sent to Europe because he knows where the bodies are buried and it's going to be very difficult to shift him because of that. Well, as I said, not only does he know where the bodies are buried, he knows who buried them. thing about it is, does he, ha- does he have that same sway in Europe? Collar says the only way they'll get rid of Phil Hogan from Europe is with a JCB dragging him out of it. He'll cling on to that position with every trick in the book. He was preparing for Europe even before he was there with this, you will pay for your water to please his European masters. Collar wants to know whether the Green Party have anything to say about Phil Hogan. As an EU commissioner, he brought in the South Afri- uh, South American beef to the EU in a deal to get Germans' cars exported to South America. There's someone who's been doing their reading. Will we ask the Green Party what they think? Will we? Will we? That's all right. No point. No point. 1850, Now, over the course of the lockdown months, uh, from, what, the 26th to 27th of March, right through until the beginning to middle of May when we were all staying at home and there was very little open and there was no social life at all and people were basically living on top of each other for six or seven weeks, doing what we were told. Are you listening, Phil? Doing what we were told. One of the topics that came up on the show very frequently was domestic abuse and the fear of a rise in domestic abuse and I remember when we had a daily feature on the program where we gave out all of the various numbers for people requiring assistance during lockdown, one of the numbers we were asked and we were most happy to add to our list was numbers for the various outlets, the various charities, the various uh, NGOs dealing with domestic abuse um, because there was a serious problem. And Within a few short months, COVID-19 has just caused a major upsurge in the number of complaints about domestic abuse. Sarah Benson has been writing about it in the Irish Examiner. Sarah, good morning to you. Good morning, Peter. Good morning to you, listeners. From from Women's Aid. Very early into lockdown, um, we started to get those calls... Um, because people were literally tied up with their abuser in the one house, locked up 24-7, and they were frightened.
14: Yeah, I mean, um, so Women's Aid runs the National Free Phone Helpline and also then our own Dublin-based face-to-face services and connects women with services all over the country, including all the the many Cork-based services, When the COVID-19 emergency first happened, ourselves, uh, our colleagues in Ireland, but also uh, our colleagues all across the globe just took a big inhalation of breath because we knew that as things started to lock down, things were going to get even worse for those who were already living with domestic abuse. And what I had written about in the examiner was just to say that, Before this pandemic, we already had an international pandemic of domestic violence and abuse. And in Ireland, one in three women will experience some form of abuse from a current or former partner during their lifetime. So when you consider so many women already in abusive relationships and indeed children in their own homes, when we were all told to kind of batten down the hatches, Uh, When we were told to work from home, when indeed many sadly lost their jobs, when the schools closed, what that did was contracted, you know, an already uh, difficult situation right into one space where the opportunities for respite to get out to work or get out to see family or friends or indeed to get help became even more difficult. And so initially we thought we'd see a drop off in calls because the opportunity might not be there. So we worked very hard, Women's Aid and also Safe Ireland and other services to highlight the fact that we were still there and then what happened was we saw a surge, and our national free phone helpline responded to 43% more calls between the end of March and June this year compared to last year. Wow. And our 2019 figures were already showing an increase on 2018. So, what we know is that the demand is there, the need is there, um, and we can't overlook this pre-existing pandemic in order to try and deal with you know, the, this awful emergency of the COVID-19. Mm.
4: The, the people who mm-hmm. wrote to us, and as you'll appreciate, very few of them were able to, to go on air, but they, but they wrote to us um, and we read out many of their emails. And one of the things that I noticed uh, as a kind of a pattern was, look, um, yes, there, there is a problem with husband, partner, boyfriend, whatever, but if he can go off to, I don't know, Go fishing or go to the pub or go to the bookies you've got some breathing space for a couple of hours that was taken from people that added to the whole um locked down feeling it just the stress levels everyone's stress levels went through the roof
14: absolutely what we were hearing on the helpline was You know, um, what we have always heard, which is reports of, you know, not not just physical abuse, because it isn't always physical abuse, but horribly coercive, controlling behaviour, emotional abuse. Uh, economic abuse particularly in households that were even further hit by you know, the economic disaster that this thing has brought um, but it was the levels of increased anxiety and distress and hopelessness of I can't get away, I can't even get a minute to myself and yeah. we also extended our instant messaging our online chat service because while it also supports you know, those who prefer to communicate that way or deaf and hard of hearing women, it, it became then also an outlet for those who wanted to maybe communicate more discreetly briefly silently you know um so they would go on our website and be able to chat in silence even when the abuser was in the next room and we also had women you know ingeniously trying to reach out and get emotional support and information on their options they would yeah. go into the bathroom and turn the shower on they would go out to the shed they go out to their car in the middle of the night um and at the same time you know what we were hearing is really enhanced levels of upset as well
4: yeah yeah so what do you do now afterwards how how what what needs to happen now to tackle not only those increased numbers but like you rightly said before the, the increased numbers you knew were there anyway what 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 needs to be happening
14: well there's a few things i think it's been very welcome in the sense that our domestic violence legislation expanded last year it now covers people who for example are in dating relationships or were in dating relationships you don't have to have lived with the person if you want to still uh, get protection from the courts because abuse doesn't always end with the relationship we also have the crime of coercive control which properly really explicitly recognizes that Mm. all abuse is not physical has anybody
4: actually been charged with that yet
14: There has been one conviction up in Donegal, I understand. There's another number that are before the courts and another number that are under investigation. We had the Commissioner um, participate in our webinar last week who who, um, confirmed that that was the case. It It is a new way of thinking for the courts because it basically... Uh, properly recognises that domestic violence isn't always a single incident but often many, many incidents, sometimes on their own, are not crimes but when taken together have the impact of completely diminishing somebody's life controlling them, isolating them and putting them in fear. And it was the
4: old uh, slogan, wasn't it, Sarah? You you don't need a bruise to be abused. That coercive control, that legislation put, put real meat on that.
14: It's a really important message um, to to put out there because what was very sad was when we launched our annual report last week with the supplementary report on COVID-19, we had commissioned a survey, independent survey in 2019, late 2019, just to inquire of those who had lived with survived domestic abuse, who they had sought support for, uh, what had been helpful, what hadn't. But we also asked the question if you didn't access support, why? And we had a sample, a very robust sample, nearly 1,000 respondents, one third of those had never spoken to anybody about what was going on and the reasons given were number two, and I would have thought it might have been number one, but number two was fear of their abuser. Number one was fear of people knowing what was going on. There was fear of not being believed, fear of stigma. So while we call on the government to continue to roll their policies and to um, you know, uh, follow through on legislative gaps, at the same time we realise that we have a long way to go as a community, as a society, to encourage those who live with domestic violence uh, and abuse, and indeed sexual violence and abuse, to say it is not the responsibility of the person who is abused, it is the responsibility of the perpetrator. And that still needs to be reinforced again and again, because obviously, sadly, from that study, we see that there is still this sense of stigma and shame, um, which is stopping those who deserve and need support from reaching out.
4: Okay. All right, listen, leave it there, Sarah. Thanks very much. That's Sarah Benson from Women's Aid. As we suspected from the people contacting us and the messages we were getting, there was a, a serious uh, uptick in domestic abuse. Uh, during the the lockdown weeks, and you can imagine, can you not, the fear that people would have if we were to find ourselves in another lockdown at any point, partial or national, uh, the fear that that would instil into many, many people. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six on Golf Gate. The stuff keeps coming in, it keeps coming. It's the gift that keeps on giving. If this was an annual event. Just look at all the people in attendance. No wonder nobody was held to account in the crash of 2008, which is interesting. This was to be the 50th anniversary dinner of the Oireachtas Golf Society. Look, any number of workplaces, big workplaces up and down the country, all have a golf society. I'm very sure that if you were to walk a square mile around here and look at the big businesses or decent sized companies anywhere near us here, they all have their own golf societies. Murphy's or Heineken probably have one. The hotels probably have one. We used to have a lot of people who played golf in this building and our sister station C one oh three at one point. We never even had a we never really had a society, but we had a little gang that played golf. But to have an official organized golf society in the Oroctus, it's been there forever. Um, but you're right about that. Like, if they're getting together to have the meat and two veg and the and the, feed the points, and if there's judges there and senior officials there and and and, and you know you, what's being talked about, it isn't about who got the, the birdie on the seventh. It's not like what are, what else are they talking about as well? Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six Claire by email. Can someone ask the question? Did Mihal Martin know about the golf outing and was he invited? Well, as we understand, every member of the Aractus got an email. Donny Cassidy was the—is it the president or the vice? Donny Cassidy would have been the one circulating the invitations. Mihal Martin probably did get an invitation, but sure, he didn't go. Um, he would have had a great story if he was there. And, and then Jim says, Once a fortnight you have Mick Barry, Thomas Gould, or Donogh O'Leary on the show. They're perfectly entitled to their opinions, but it's a very negative outlook. They all have, and it makes listening to the show a drag. I give a real Monday morning feeling to the show. Well, Jim, I appreciate that. I do. But would you prefer that we didn't cover the news stories of the day and we didn't talk to the senior opposition people because that's who these people are they are their senior opposition tds in our city so therefore they have a role to play in covering news events and why is jerry buttomer not on the radio to explain himself to the public oh there's a great question We've been inviting Jerry since late on Thursday night. He has been texted, he has been phoned, he has been probably emailed, WhatsApped, you name it. We've asked Jerry Buttimer on the show uh, since Thursday evening when the story broke and the, story, the look the invitation remains open. If Senator Buttimer is listening to me right now and I know that he does, uh, Jerry, you're more than welcome. We'd love to talk to you.
3: The opinion line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. There was another
4: golf gate story going around uh, about Mehal Martin and, and a prize, uh, a piece of crystal, as a prize for the Eroctis Golf Classic or. Fiftieth anniversary golf classic and people were saying oh Mihal Martin sponsored a prize. Fianna Fáil would have sponsored a prize. The Leader's Office would have been approached to sponsor a prize. That would have happened months ago. Months ago. And besides, a prize for a golf classic. It's quite there's golf classics happening at the moment and prizes being presented for the golf classics. But there's no big dinner like there normally would be for these things. Or if they are, it's very very limited in number. So, being asked to supply a prize for a golf classic, that's not a problem. Neither is supplying a prize for a golf classic. Again, that's not a problem. It's, it's, it's the number of them that were squashed into that room in the hotel in Clifton, where the rules were broken, right, left, and centre. That's the problem. 1850-715-996. Text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. The email opinion at 96 mie I'll forget this. If I don't mention it now, it's True Love Waits. True Love Waits is the brand new album from The Coronas. Could there ever have been a band with a more topical name? And I remember they, in one of the papers during the course of the lockdown, they said, no, we're not going to change our name. The Coronas have a new band, a new album out, True Love Waits, and we'll have copies of that to give away all day Friday on Corks 96 FM. If you listen to KC and Ross during the morning and right throughout the day. Uh, You'll have your chance to text in or WhatsApp to win two love weights from the Coronas. Ready? Get ready to grab it for free all day this Friday, only on Corks 96 FM. Now, last week when Storm Ellen hit us, and it looks like her baby sister is on the way this week, we're in for another week of pretty shocking weather, if you're to believe Alan from Carlo Weather, who's fairly accurate at this kind of thing. Anyway, getting back to, to Storm... Ellen, um, one of the things that Ellen did was to knock one of those iconic trees. It was the beautiful monkey puzzle down in Mahan. And it was one of these things it has been there since forever. But if you're down there now, it's gone. It was part of the skyline, a beautiful big monkey puzzle tree dating back God knows how long. And sure, Ellen just laid complete waste to it. Uh, the, the other night, and with people talking about it here, uh, the morning after uh, about it, and looking for one, one one man on one wood a wood turner called Gerard Dubois. I mean, could you make it up? Like, wants to take a piece of it, the, the, the damaged tree, and dry it and treat it and make bowls and plates out of it, which is grand. And a lot of people wondering what will we do with it. And there was someone called to say there seems to be a little sapling growing down near it, so maybe we could save it for a, a future generation. Luke Casey is at St. Michael's Credit Union in Black Rock. Luke, good morning to you.
13: Good morning, how
4: are you? Good. There, there may well be a future for the monkey puzzle or some kind of a, a way of, of, of letting allowing it to live on.
13: Yes, yeah, so like, here at St. Michael's Credit Union, we were watching the story like everyone. We watched it on Twitter, we saw the video of it kind of blowing over and then straight away we were kind of getting, it's an iconic kind of tree that everybody in the area knows it. everybody passing on the link knows it as well. Could you get that a small bit thing.
4: closer to your phone there, Luke, if oh, you would? Sorry,
13: apologies. Yes, sir. Uh, so then we start thinking, how could we, like, it'd be sad if it was lost. How could we look to replace it? So we start uh, looking into kind of sourcing a tree um, and then we're kind of working through the process now and liaising with the different departments to see how we can get a different tree in place. And I suppose it's just such an iconic tree for the area and then we put it up on our social media and then the comments underneath from people in the community of Black Rock and Man saying that they used to pass the tree or to go down there with their grandfather. So we, we, we saw it as a very important thing to maybe put back in place. So we're looking at how, how we can replace it and we've had a great response from members of the community getting in touch and to saying that they'll help plant it. We even had an offer to uh, get one of the trees donated as well. So we're just kind of looking at a way so that future generations could enjoy it, because it has been there since 1845, you know?
4: Yeah, it was the, Mr. William Crawford of the Remington Crawford yeah. fame, he planted it in, in 1845. Now, there aren't that many of them around. Certainly no, not, not that
13: big. No, no, and it's, it's it's massive, so I suppose what was there, um, we're looking at kind of, we won't be able to get one that's that size, because we wouldn't get one that's that old, but we're looking at kind of getting a tree that is of a mature enough stage that we'll be able to plant it so that it's maybe beyond the sapling stage but also kind of a bit more presence there. They, do, they are a slow-growing tree yeah. but we are looking at how kind of how we could kind of get one of an older age.
4: And you want to specifically thing. get a monkey puzzle, is it, Luke?
13: Yeah, well, that's what, we're, that's what we're looking at. We think it'd be good to replace it with the same kind of tree that was there because, you know, it was just such an iconic tree yeah. and I suppose even from the reactions online to the story and the falling over, you can see kind of what it meant to people locally, but also kind of from the wider areas as well, you know.
4: Yeah, you'd probably have to transplant one and get, if you wanted to get a good one, like you'd want to have to transplant it and put it, and, and you'd, it would be expensive to do.
13: Yeah, it looks, it, looks, it looks like you'd have to kind of transplant one and put one in place, but we're just kind of exploring all the possibilities now at the moment, you know.
4: Okay. Okay, so the credit union is getting involved in whatever way it can.
13: Yeah, St. Michael's Credit Union is looking to kind of get involved because, like I said, it was iconic and it was kind of it was seen by everybody in the area and everybody kind of knew the tree as well. So we just wanted to kind of play our part in kind of preserving something, not that exact tree, obviously, but preserving the kind of the presence of the tree there so people okay. can enjoy it going forward.
4: All right. Well, we'll see where, where that goes, that plan. Thank you very much. That's Luke Casey from St. Michael's Credit Union in, in Black Rock. Going to work with all the powers that be, all the stakeholders, and I hate that word, all the various stakeholders to try and get a monkey puzzle, a reasonable sized monkey puzzle to transplant into the space where that one came out of. Now that one's been there since 1845, you're not going to get something that size, you're unlikely to get something that size, and then transplanting it is a mammoth operation, but nice to see the local credit union getting involved in a community project as they do. <laughs> Phil Hogan and Ursula van der Leen have been spotted in a carpet showroom and in Belgium <laughs> buying a roll of carpet.
3: And a sweeping brush. The opinion line on Courts 96 FM. With the indoor self service laundrette now at the junction Vickers Road. Open
9: every
1: day to save you time and money. SelfserviceLaundry.ie 6 to 9 a.m. On
3: Cork's 96FM. Who are the worst people in the world? Like, a group of people that do something that are just terrible. They're just awful human beings and they need to be eradicated off the face of the planet. Ah, uh, go on. Fly tippers. For all people that dump people they dump rubbish. Like I thought you people that were like, zipping down your zipper going, here's a tenner. <laughs> <laughs> Casey and
1: Ross
3: in the morning. Cork's 96FM. This is Courts Gold Imro Award-winning talk show, The Opinion Line, with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp
1: now, 0833
3: 96, 96, 96. On Courts 96 FM. A couple of comments we've held
4: over on domestic violence. We were talking about the uptick or the upswing in domestic violence as confirmed by Women's Aid. Uh, Tony said, PJ, can ask what services are there for men who also suffer from domestic abuse. There's a lot of it out there, but men are well known for not talking about it. We struggle with a campaign to get us men to talk about our mental health as it is. And you're correct, Tony, and every time we talk about domestic violence, I am reminded uh, not to forget that it happens to men too, and indeed, I I try not to. Uh, Men's Aid is out there. He's formerly known as Amen. And their number, they have a website, first of all, is www.mensaid.ie. M-E-N-S-A-I-D, and they have a contact number as well, which is 015543811. 015543811. And Vicky was on. Hi, PJ. I hope you're well. I've spoken with you before as regards the desperate matter of domestic violence. Just to let you know, the courts are open for applications and are very aware of the increase in incidents. We as solicitors are also very aware, and it's nothing we can do to help with advising those who need to make a court application. We would, of course, be obliged to do so. Best wishes from Vicky, and thank you for that. Councillor Kieran McCarthy was on about the monkey puzzle, dates back to the early 1800s. It's nearly 200 years old. It is indeed. The owner of the land and the tree has now been in contact with it. with Uh, Councillor McCarthy and they're working with the local community with regard to replacing it and with using the timbers going forward good, come back to that one now, schools are due open the first of the schools are due to go back in the next couple of days they'll be going back in dribs and drabs from suppose, the back end of this week starting probably Wednesday Uh, Thursday, Friday, and then the primaries, I think all of the primaries will be starting back early next week on the 1st of of December. And of course, the discussion is still underway. Can it be done? Can it be done efficiently? Will we be taking the children back out of the schools again in a few weeks time because there's been a massive surge in COVID-19? And the simple answer to that question is we do not know, but we certainly hope not. Uh, But there's an article written in the Irish Times recently um, by a professor of sociology from uh, Maynooth University, Linda Connolly, and she was simply saying in that article, we really can't do this in the way we think we want to do it. In other words, it's not really possible to do it in the way the government thinks it can be done. Now this interview is a few days old and was done prior to anything to do with golfgate. Uh, so it may be a little dated in that political in that regard politically. But I just wanted to talk to uh, Professor Connolly about the article she'd written in the Times and her thoughts on whether we could get the schools back on schedule and properly. Professor Connolly, your article states very bluntly in the first paragraph education will not or cannot be delivered as normal in the autumn. Hundreds of our listeners are wondering what to do with their children in in less than two weeks' time. What can be done?
7: Well, I think we are in a very difficult situation currently. Uh, The the number of COVID cases is rising and in particular we're told that the number of community transmissions and this suggests that the opening, the full opening of schools, which is over one million children, will have implications for society. Um, And on the one hand, schools are opening and they will continue. But when I I say as normal, um, what I mean, I suppose, is that school is not going to be the same. You know, uh, college is not going to be the same. Um, You know, there will be uh, protocols, very strict rules, uh, etc., so the so school may open, but it, it won't It won't be the same. It won't be as, uh, you know, normal in the sense of uh, what it, it generally looks like.
4: Particularly so, with young children, I suspect. Yeah. You know, children are prone to coughs and colds and sniffles yeah. as a normal Absolutely. part of life. And they could be in and out and in and out and children quarantined and tested. Yeah. It could be chaotic.
7: It could. But on the other hand, as all the, I suppose, experts, medical experts, psychologists, uh, you know, social scientists would say that school is equally as important for the, you know, the, the development of children, and their social skills and so forth. So um so so there's I suppose a, a balance to be had in terms of how you ensure schooling will happen and on the other hand how we manage a, a pandemic. Uh, so these are very uh and then of course the parents themselves Will have different uh, feelings about that, and I think in the article I was trying to acknowledge that I suppose that it 's not a case of everybody you know you know wants school to open, but on the other hand they they do have a lot of fears, they have a lot of questions, and they are worried uh, about about you know the, the spread of this virus so it's, it, it really is a very difficult question how you balance the question of um, the need for education and uh, versus the, the management of this pandemic, if it can be managed at home.
4: Families were thrust into a situation on the 12th of March that, that was not of their making and that they had no experience of how to deal with it. For the most part, they've managed to, to knuckle down and get on with it. But isn't it fair to say that at some point, life? has to go back to some semblance of normal. People, parents have to go back to work. Children have to go back to school and we have to try to get it right.
7: Um, yes, I would agree with that. I, I I, have three children. I want them to go to school full time. But I, I also would, I suppose, suggest that we also have to acknowledge the reality uh, that we're in. And this virus is going to be with us for a while. And I think it's very important that we also develop alternatives for situations where children may not be able to attend school full-time, such as uh, if there is illness, as you mentioned a minute ago, if there is a a COVID outbreak in schools. And we have seen examples of this internationally occurring, Israel, uh, Georgia, Chile and and, and other places. And I, I think what is very important in terms of the Irish context is we haven't really managed to a- address that question of social distancing in schools. And if so,
4: you imagine the confusion yeah. that arises when a set of restrictions published last Tuesday yeah. says no more than six people at an indoor yeah. gathering and yet yeah. you have 28 children in a classroom sure. in 10 days' time? It, 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 doesn't, it doesn't gel, does it?
7: No, I think it's inherently contradictory. Um, Teenagers uh, told not to party or uh, accused of imparting too much uh, are are now being were told, certainly up to yesterday, that they could get on a school bus with no social distancing. That has changed as of today. Mm. Um, uh, The NEFIT recommendation has, at a very late stage, been taken on board that that, that there would be social distancing uh, on buses. And yes, they are you know, as you said, um, in a week's time, you know, told that they can go into a school environment. The school environment will be very controlled. I've been so impressed myself with the, the schools my children go to. The teachers have impeccably planned everything. It's very fine-tuned. But we can't get away from the reality that the roadmap that the government provided at, at its core didn't tackle the question of uh, how class sizes in Ireland impact on the degree to which we could manage social distancing. Mm. Um, So I think that's an issue. And, you know, we can... First of all, the, the broader conditions with COVID may... could change everything in a week's time. You know, if we get back to March 12th, which none of us want. None of us want that. But we could, this is the point, we could get back to a situation where rates are rising again, and we do have to withdraw. And... If, I suppose if there is a situation where either a lockdown occurs or there's a case, a class or even a whole school mm. has to shut down, then we have to be able to cater for that as well. Mm. So what I have been arguing is that if there, there are other things we can do apart from having this kind of focus on full-time school as a panacea for everything, which is what we all want, ultimately. But we are in a pandemic. So we have to be able to, I suppose, adapt and have other kinds of ways of innovation in education. And I think it's a real shame. You know, we should have been discussing this since last March. Yeah. You know, the digital, uh, we're using different terms. It was remote
1: Blen- learning. Blended learning
7: yeah. Yes,
4: Zoom <laughs> um, classes.
7: Absolutely. Google These,
4: Hangouts. It's all been there. But I, yeah. I think what you're pointing at there is a very significant yeah. issue that neither the minister, neither the last minister, nor this minister, the department, none of them seem yeah. to have said, OK, looking at the 1st of September, what do we do if we can't do it?
7: Exactly. So it's a plan B. So for so, so plan A, we all hoped and wanted. Uh, the virus to be suppressed. Some people would say it should be eliminated. There is the zero COVID um, group. Um, but but we haven't managed that. I mean, that is the reality. We are a week away from schools opening, 136 cases. So, the, you know, we hope the schools will open, that everybody will be safe. But we do need to have contingency plans. And there are some groups who will not be able to attend school. And I've been listening on the radio today, very upsetting stories of, you know, parents who have a sick member in their household mm. with very compromised immunity or a parent who has uh, cancer or, you know, who has to take immunosuppressants. Is it yeah. fair
4: to say, Professor, that as I see it and as I think many people, there's a determination on the behalf of the Minister and the Minister for Health as well and the, and the Taoiseach. They, they, they seem almost blinkered in their determination that this will
7: work. Absolutely. And and, and I would go further. I would suggest inflexible and operating out of a principle that somehow schools will be different. Schools can be managed. You know, that they're not part of society.
4: Sh- should they think again with a few days to go?
7: I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a difficult one. I, I mean, uh, for me, if I was the minister for education, I would be thinking about a plan B. And if it's a situation that for whatever reason schools can't open fully, um, we have to have a plan B. So the the kinds of ways that's been done in other countries have been, first of all, fully remote learning, which is one option. Um, The second being, and and I'm very much in favour of this myself, given the class sizes, uh, that we would split the day or the week. Mm -hmm. For initially, you know, we don't have to bring one million plus students in on the first day all at the same time, um, we can do this a bit slower. Uh, now, you, I suppose the problem there is then, um, you know, how, how, how do you do that? You know, how do you arrange childcare? People are mm. working. But the, these are all kinds of questions that would have to be looked at and they would have to be looked at properly. And, you know, the primary school day, for instance, it, sometimes they finish it. 10 past 1, 10 past 2 or 3 o'clock, it's not a full day. So so I'm guessing parents already have these kinds of arrangements built in, built in. perhaps not for the full week. Um, but, you know, this would have to be thought through, I suppose, uh, in a radical way. If the rates are very high and you bring, if you have class sizes and the virus begins to spread after school's open, then then we'll be back to square one before we know it. So to me, it makes sense to have contingency plans um, where I, I refer to it as a hybrid approach. This is what a lot of uh, schools in the United States are doing. They're giving parents the option of full-time school, or of part-time school, or fully at home if they have a health issue. This is, this is the job of the state and the Department of Education to resolve these questions at this time. If they're serious about children's
4: schooling. Professor Connolly, I'll leave it there for today. Thank you very much.
7: Thank you.
4: That's Professor Linda Connolly from Maynooth University um, and making the point and a valid one I think that there doesn't seem to be a plan B. That if over the next couple of weeks they try to get the schools back the term we just heard Simon Coveney talking about it again this morning they're determined to get the schools back by hook or by crook. But if they can't, there doesn't seem to be a plan B. Caller says there are schools in all different countries open and they're getting on with it. Well, we're listening to this non-stop. We want the children to get some bit of education and normality with their friends. We have 11 to 18-year-olds in the family and six months where there are clusters from people doing various things. There are clusters anyway, but you need to get some normality For them, so effectively, the caller is saying, "Give it a shot. At least try it. They're doing it in other countries. They are. There are clusters in other countries. There are outbreaks in other countries within within the schools. But we just need to suck it and see. I think it's what you're saying, caller. And Kevin, churches are broadcasting mass every day. Children will be fixed into one classroom with the teachers moving around, not the youngsters. So why can't lessons be broadcast for those who can't be in school? Maybe because they're isolating. Are showing symptoms, and have to stay at home. It's one of many ideas, Kevin, one of many ideas that people have. But the point that Professor Connolly was making, which seems to be a valid one and certainly has a, a certain amount of common sense, is they don't seem to have a plan B. Evie, Nevin was listening. Evie, Evie, you're thinking about what you're going to do with your youngster, but that's a valid point that Professor makes. That doesn't seem to be a plan B, does there? Good morning to you.
11: Good morning. No, there doesn't. Um, I have two children. Uh, One is about to go into junior infants, the other one is about to go into fifth class. And just there is no there is no plan B. And especially for a family like mine, where myself, my two children do have underlying conditions. There has been kind of no effective communication from either the government um, or the schools. And I, I think a lot of the schools are kind of just trying to go with what, you know, what works for them and what they can achieve. I mean, for example, one concern of mine is that the staggering drop off pick up times are for the first day only. Um there's no kind of long term plans. There are, you know, teachers that haven't been able to go into the schools yet, and they won't be able to go into the school until the Friday before school starts to kind of work out um you know the the, the layout of the rooms and things like that. And basically, I mean if you think there's One million people in this country that suffer from just four chronic diseases. So that's, you know, COPD, cardiovascular disease, diabetes and chronic asthma. And never mind the thousands of other chronic illnesses um, that Irish people suffer from. So, you know, there'll be somebody... um, you know, in a family that can be potentially high risk um, Mm. if they get this virus. And there's kind of no thinking there about these people. I'm not saying don't open the schools and don't let, you know, families that don't have these worries go back to school. But, I mean, just the sizes of the classes as well. I mean, they're talking about pods and all this kind of stuff. But we Mm. saw in the papers there that the quote, uh, I believe, was uh, pods were like um, uh, one corridor of of a swimming pool for for urinating and I, yeah, uh, it was yeah. something like that. But well, um, I mean, the, the
4: pod system is one that's been tried all over the place. Are, are you in in two minds what you'll do with regard to your youngsters?
11: I, I mean, I'm keeping an eye on the numbers. I mean, just for example, I, I put out a tweet um, a, few, a couple of days ago pointing out that there was 89 children uh, who had been diagnosed with COVID yes. uh, in in the space of a week, and yes. it was 20 again yesterday. So it's going up. And we now know that there's more young people being diagnosed with COVID than there are elderly people being yeah. diagnosed with COVID. But
4: we That's also had Professor mind. Nolan on the news yesterday and I heard the interview. I was mm. driving back from Kerry and I heard I heard the interview and, and he was being very specific in saying that very few, in fact no child at the moment that he, there are very few cases that, that he can tell are connected to schools, anywhere where schools have reopened. They're getting Covid in their homes. They're not getting mm-hmm. it in school. They're getting it in their homes. Yeah, Do you know. So it, it it would have seemed that school isn't really a place where people get Covid if the school is properly managed.
11: Yeah, and that, and that's exactly. It. I mean, reducing class sizes and that can be done simply by offering, as Professor Connolly said, um, and as you said there, having things like online classes. I mean, that would automatically uh, reduce class sizes. Um, And I would allow children um, continue on with their education. Obviously, my daughter going into junior infants, you know, you only ever get one first day of school. Yes. But um, I have to balance that with knowing that she could pretend, you know, that one of the three of us could potentially become very, very sick. I mean, we don't know an awful lot about how the virus affects people, for example, with what I have, which is Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. But on an anecdotal level, uh, I've known two people with my condition who had to be hospitalized. One had pneumonia and the other one had pl- blood clots. Yeah. Um, you know, so these are things I have to consider. And it's, it's a, something that there's, you know, thousands and thousands of families in the exact same kind of situation where there's one person in the family, like I said, one million people with just those four diseases that we know, um, you know, can, can get very, very sick yeah. of this condition. And one thing I'm, I'm kind of is a bit upsetting is that this kind of narrative when people say you know about the people who have died from COVID they're like oh but should they have an underlying condition as in like it's almost sounding like they don't matter and it's almost sounding like oh well they would have died anyway you know that kind of thing and it's, it's it's, it's very disheartening to hear that kind mm. of attitude that's coming out. And uh, like you said, the government seems determined just to open the schools and then just to get on with it. But there are some very, very valid concerns um, mm. about reopening the schools.
4: Okay. Needle there. Evie, thanks a lot. 1850 uh, 996 WhatsApp message, PJ. Why can't the government look to other countries? In Canada, I'm Canadian. My parents have an online option for the kids. My sister lives with my mom, so she's taken the online option. This is an email to opinion at 96 ie. It says, colleges and schools have sent full fees to parents and students, whereas no one knows how the colleges and schools will run. My questions are, students didn't complete the year due to the pandemic. We were on pandemic benefits. Some of us lost our jobs. Where are we going to get the full fees? I know we have to pay. I'd like to ask the politicians to spend time and focus on what matters in this country since the pandemic, what I've been listening to and reading in the newspapers is the messing around of politicians and the resigning of politicians. Should these be put aside and concentrate on what matters in the country, which includes education? Mags says she actually can't cope with the sort of negativity on a Monday morning. Mags, I I get that. I do. I do. But these are questions that have to be asked. And as the professor said, there doesn't appear to be a plan B. It would appear to be we'll open the school's We'll put in a set of provisions and we will suck it and see. And admittedly, that's something that's had to happen all over the world. But we've got some of the most crowded classes in Europe. So we really have right to be nervous. And the government are determined to open the schools. And as people, as they need a plan B, what if it all falls on its arse? What do we do then? Caller says there are schools in different countries open and they're just getting on with it. We're listening to it non-stop. Can we not just get on with it? 1850-715-996. And I guess being being held back from your education uh, for the last six months won't have been good for any youngster. And going back into it at a time when they, and they might be anxious about it and worried about it. You know, they're, they're they're going to need help. The children and their parents are going to need help. And we caught up last week with with our good friend Catherine Hallisey, um who is doing support items on, on Facebook. And again, Catherine, to, to bring you back in, lovely to talk to you again. The fact that there is no Plan B or doesn't appear to be a Plan B is adding to the anxiety of everybody. Morning to you.
9: Good morning, PJ. I suppose it's important to remember that we actually do have a model of how this is going to work. The preschools, sorry, the creches have been back since the 29th of June. And they've actually done really, really well. So I think that actually gives me great hope for what is going to happen with the schools. And, you know, I think it's really important that we all, I suppose, allow a little bit of grace to everybody to the education staff to parents you know we're, I think we're all feeling and experiencing normal anxiety it's to be expected yeah. we had a huge change we coped fairly okay and now we're about to head back into a huge change and if you're feeling worried about it that's okay yeah but my number one bit of advice is when you're feeling like this is just focus on what you can control mm-hmm there are a few very simple things, and I, this is just really good in terms of managing any anxiety or managing any change. There are going to be so many aspects of it that you can't control it. Like we can't know or control what's about to happen. Mm. But there are a number of things that we can do to set ourselves up for success. You know, so just really just focusing, like bring it right back to basics. Yeah, you know,
4: can, control, it's a great philosophy of life, only control what you can. It's the most natural thing in the world to panic about things that you can't control. But what kind of things can the average family control in the next few days?
9: I think we'll just go really, really, really simple. So we know that one of the biggest protective factors for young people is strong relationships with our parents. Now, this is even for adult children. You know, so this is for parents of teenagers, parents of children in college, parents of children in preschool and creche. Just really remember, this is the biggest protective factor. You can't answer all your children's questions now. But what you can do is use your calm, loving presence to be there. If they ask you a question that you don't know the answer to, you say, "Really, correctly, I don't know the answer to that. But sure, let's focus on what we do know. You know, like really just... Never try and make up an answer. Like, I'm always very, I recommend being very open and honest with young people and saying, look, I don't know. It's kind of annoying that we don't know, isn't it? And just make it a shared experience and being as light as you possibly can without diminishing somebody else's fears and anxieties. You can acknowledge that this is a tough time and then also help your young person focus on what they can control. So it's the basics, you know, it's the sleeping The eating, the getting outside, exercise, fresh air, fun. You know, Mm -hmm. like bringing that, you know, I, I don't think you've got to be down on the floor playing with your children and certainly not with your teenager, but being playful. Yes.
4: And keep them away. I think we said this previously, keep them away from the things that are worrying you.
9: Oh, very, very much so. I think that for, in most houses, it's actually the parents who are more worried. And I guess because we know more, and we have financial pressures as well. We all want the schools to go back. It means that the country can start to get back to normal and parents can start to work more as well. And, you know, so so I think one of the reasons why we're all feeling so anxious about this is because we've got a lot riding on this. So even just acknowledge that to yourself. Sometimes even saying that to yourself can actually help calm some of those nerves. Yeah. You know, and just doing your best to manage that. So, like, I've been doing a series on Facebook Live every day, just short five-minute videos with tips for parents on how to help their children get back to school and actually thrive. Not just get back, but actually thrive, despite what's going on. Because we know that times of adversity, they really do give us an opportunity to develop resilience if we're able to get that support of a connected adult. Yes and focusing on those basic things.
4: Okay, okay. People can find these little videos, and once you've done one, do they stay on your page?
9: They stay on my page, and also then for people who want a deeper dive, well, uh, those videos are free, and then every Tuesday I do uh, a question and answer session on Facebook Live and Instagram. But also for people who want a deeper dive into this, I've, I have a monthly membership for parents as well. So um, doors are open until Friday. It's low cost. It's 20 euros a month. And you get a lot of coaching for that where you'll be able to bring your questions. I give people a a general plan to work on for the month. And then they'll come back with any difficulties they've had implementing it and we will tease it out. So it's just another bit of that support network. You know, we often talk about how we're parenting alone so much. Mm hmm. And this is just a way of building an extra support network around you. Okay. So, and it's it's called Reclaim Parenthood because it's really about just doing what works. I want us to reclaim this. Right. Get back into control, know what works, and then let go of the rest.
4: All right. Catherine, always a pleasure. Catherine Halasey psychologist, is her Facebook page. You can get the details of all those various services that she offers. A little bit of calm, a little bit of prioritising. Don't let the children worry about the stuff that you're worried about. And a great philosophy in life try only to worry about the things that you can control. There is no point worrying about something over which you have no control. It's so easy to say that but a lot harder to do it. But we should at least try. 1850-715-996 I have no doubt we will touch on the issue of children going back to school repeatedly over the next week or so. Can I just... At this point in time, grab 20 seconds to mention some sad news that I received last night. And again, it's a man whose name would not have been a household name, but the passing was announced last evening of a man called John Smith. Uh, John Smith was back in the day of the late Barry Roach and uh, Joe O'Connor, when they were the gaffers at Cork Airport, John Smith was the head of marketing. He came to Cork Airport from the Erlingus Lingus office in Paris, and he pursued, he proceeded to turn Cork Airport around into the start of what is the airport it is today. And uh, John was well-known and well-respected and well-loved in the business and in the media sector of Cork. And uh, he was a dear friend of mine. He's been in poor health for a number of years. I haven't spoken to him in quite some time. But I was sad to learn uh, last night of his passing. So may he rest in peace. And all those who knew him around Cork will, I'm sure, share share my view. Let's remind you of an interview on the opinion line back in April. This was towards the back end of April. I spoke to a man called Matt Jevin. Matt is a professional diver and a diving medic and he had caught COVID-19 and I had, speaking to him, he was on the road to recovery at that point, but I was speaking to him about uh, his experience of COVID-19 to that point, the 28th
3: of April.
15: It hit me like a freight train. Yeah, I mean, there's no, there's no denying what happened with it. Um, I wasn't that bad that I needed ventilation or more aggressive support measures, but certainly got hit pretty hard. But this virus will damage people even if they, they don't really experience any symptoms. They can go through a very mild um, form of it, but it can still cause issues to, to the lungs. There's cardiomyopathy as well. That, that can go with it so it it is a it is a nasty little thing
4: how long is it do you think before you'll be able to go back diving
15: um my type of diving is is not your sort of typical recreational diving so i do a lot of deep mixed gas diving and yeah. i'm uh, and i'm a cave diver um so those types of dives will take a little while to build back up to what i'd be thinking in terms of you know some months to to get back up to doing those. I've got to get a clear chest X-ray, possibly CT scan, and I've got to get some lung function tests done. Um, I need to make sure that, you know, I'm at 100% before I I start back in the water.
4: That was the end of April. Matt,
2: how are you now? Good morning again. Good morning. Yeah, um, great. Absolutely great. Have you been cleared to go back? I have, yes. um, Went through... Well, over the course of the last few months, there's been a whole range of different um, tests and scans and whatever just to check on progress and to see how things were going. But um, yeah, I got cleared about three weeks ago. All my paperwork came through uh, last week. So right. all my dive medicals and everything were officially signed off. So yeah, I'm 100%, 100%.
4: That was a long road, wasn't it? From around, I think we talked at the time, it was about the end of March you took sick.
2: Um, yeah, 15th of March was the onset of the first symptoms. So, uh, and then I got a positive test. You know, I was, I was a bit unusual. People say that, you know, it, it, it lasts a couple of weeks. It doesn't, It, it, I mean, I got a positive test on the 16th of April. Um, so, you know, a month after first symptoms. And then I think when we spoke in late April, you know, I'd still got quite a lot of um, issues with the lungs and the and yeah. the breathing at you, that you time. You were back so. to
4: doing some gentle exercise, but you were still struggling a bit. You were, you, you know, you had uh, you had a few weeks ahead of you.
2: Yeah, um, there, there was a number of things that needed to happen. Really, one I needed to clear the infection and the inflammation from the lungs and make sure there wasn't any permanent damage or or scarring on the lungs. And then secondly, it was building back up the fitness and the breathing. Um, to the point where you know I could cope with the stresses the physical stresses that the that the diving puts upon you yeah. um, and
4: for someone who would ha- and has to be you have to be very physically fit for the work that you do, so therefore you would and, and you had been away diving hadn't you been overseas um, yeah so like to get back to a level of fitness has taken you the bones of six months. This is no trivial illness, is it matt
2: it isn't it isn't i mean the the diving community has done a lot of work and research into this area anyway about people returning to diving post COVID. And I've been, um, you know, I've been happy to be able to contribute to that. And the the current guidelines from the diving community is that if you've been symptomatic or if you've had a positive test, it's an absolute minimum of three months before you should return to diving anyway. So they don't, they don't take it lightly. Um, you know, the, the Dan and the, and the scuba medical, um, Consultancy Council, which is made up of a bunch of very, very bright docs uh, and dive medics from all over the world have, uh, have sort of pulled these guidelines together. Um, the damage the medics- that this thing does to the average set of lungs is fairly frightening. It is. Um, even if you're fairly asymptomatic, we know now that there will be inflammation of the alveoli in the lungs, there will be a restriction in lung function, and there's likely to be other Cardiac-related and and organ-related issues. So even if you're going to go, ah, oh yeah, I only got a mild dose. It's fine. It, That's certainly the the experience that we know from the diving community is. Give it three months and then get some scans, and and we're finding that people aren't fine after that. You know, there's a lot of residual damage as a result. I think the message to go out to everyone, Matt,
4: is for goodness' sake, do the do everything you can in your power to avoid getting this blasted thing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, we're in a situation, I think, where when it started off, there was a sort of, a, we can wait until this is over and then we can return to normal. And, um, you know, people were kind of say, yeah, we'll go and do a bit of lockdown and, and, and then it'll pass. And what we're realising now is that this is with us for the long haul. And, and what we've got to do is adapt to living with it, not waiting for it to finish. And, We can live with it. We know what we need to do. We need to keep distant. We need to wear the mask. We need to keep washing the hands and keep the hygiene good. And if we do that, then we can stay safe. But um, I think we just got to get used to it's going to be there for a bit.
4: Yeah, we just need to we just need to learn a strategy to cope with it. Matt, thank you very much and I'm delighted you're back to, to full health and, and the best of luck to you. Thanks uh, very much. So you, yeah. can't, you can't wait to get back in the water. That's Matt jevon uh, eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. It's taken him from the 15th of March until the 24th of August or pretty much the 24th of August to be fully fit and healthy and ready to resume work. And he would be fit and healthy anyway. You don't want this thing, lads. You don't like—not for you or not for anybody around you. Eighteen fifty-seven one five nine nine six. That's it. Thanks, dear. Thanks, Fergal. We'll see you tomorrow, just after nine.